President Kimberly Brandon. Here. Commissioner Gail Gilman. Present. Commissioner Ed Harrington. Here. Commissioner Stephen Lee. Here. Vice President Adams is absent today. Uh, the San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homelands of the Ramatish Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish Ohlone community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item two is the approval of minutes for the April 11th, 2023 Court Commission meeting. I so move. Second. Any questions or comments? All in favor? Aye. 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 The minutes of the April 11th, 2023 meeting have been approved. Item three is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item four is announcements. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones and similar sound-producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. A member of the public has up to three minutes to make public comments on each agenda item unless the Port Commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comments must be in respect to the current agenda item. The Commission will take in-person and remote public comment on each item, beginning with commenters in person. For remote public comment, dial one 415-655-0001 and enter access code 2590-591-7749, pound, pound. Then dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment on the item being discussed. An audio prompt will signal when it is your turn to speak. If you are watching this meeting on SFGov TV, there is a short broadcasting delay. To not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced. Mute your device and listen to the meeting from your telephone, which has no delay. Item number five is public comment on items not listed on the agenda. And I'd like to remind callers to dial star three if you wish to make public comment. Thank you, Jenica. I have three speaker cards, Marina. <clears throat> Good afternoon, President Brandon and Commissioners, Marina Secatano and La Boatman's Union. I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak. <clears throat> We're here today to update you on our negotiations with Alcatraz Cruises. We won the election in October, and uh, to date we've only had five meetings with the company. At our last meeting, April 3rd, we proposed 10 days in April. 11 days later, they reported they could not meet until May 25th which is 52 days between sessions. We don't believe that's bargaining in good faith. Our members are working without consistent schedules, only notified a week at a time. They don't get two consecutive days off. They work without overtime or double time for over nine days straight. 
And we believe this is an exploitation of the workers, and we're not going to tolerate this. You know, this is one of the most lucrative contracts in the nation, you know, National Park Service, and they're one of the biggest tourist attractions we have. I mean, to tell me they got to behave like this with their workers. When we spoke at the previous meeting, we reported the company was refusing to recognize the captains and wanted us to go back to the National Labor Relations Board and relitigate this issue. All the other ferry captains in the Bay are represented by the union. It was the captains that organized this group, and they are still solid in their resolve. Rather than delay the election, we set aside those ballots, and uh, the board was ordered that we bargain the uh, status of the captains. The situation is heating up. We want to let you know we don't believe this is fair to the workforce. We ask that you uh, contact Alcatraz Cruises and demand that they schedule meetings within a reasonable time frame and that they bargain in good faith. Just so you know, we have a rally and a march to uh, Alcatraz Cruises, May 1st, International Workers' Day, which is all about protecting workers from exploitation, and we're going to be out there with that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Evan? Good afternoon, Commissioners. Thank you for your time today. Uh, my name is Evan McLaughlin. I am with the International Longshore and Warehouse Union. I've had the opportunity to work alongside the workers at Alcatraz Cruises. As a side note, I was uh, previously a uh, representative with SEIU 10 to 1 working at uh, uh, Workers at the Port of San Francisco. I have to say that um, in Without exaggeration, in my experience in the labor movement, the Port of San Francisco is the best employer I've gotten to work with in terms of labor relations. So I know that you all know how to handle these situations responsibly, but um, I'm here to echo what Marina said um, and support what the workers at Alcatraz Cruises are trying to do. Um, what folks are asking for, um, and we've been working with them for a while now, uh, consistently all the way through, it's not complicated. People want consistent schedules. People want fair wages. People want safe conditions. People want predictability. It's things that every other company on the Bay has managed to achieve, and they're doing great, and they're in business. Um, so we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to figure out how we can get this to a resolution and a fair contract. Um, but honestly, workers are telling us they're they are going to do what they've got to do. Um, and they've told us that they want to fight, they're willing to fight, and we're, we're going to stand with them. Um, so we are here to ask for the port support, as Marina said. Um, they've given us an unreasonable amount of time between bargaining sessions. We're asking for your support and just to call on them and say, hey, look, just come to the table, sit down, let's figure this out. You know, we've got the summer coming up. We know how important that season is to the port. We're trying to resolve this. So thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Tristan? Good afternoon. My name is Tristan Seneft. I'm a senior deckhand that's worked for Alcatraz Cruises for in total about three years. As I've worked under Alcatraz Cruises through these recent months, the atmosphere between management and the workers has become to, has been getting more and more tense with the company handing down constant changes with our work policies that has changed our working conditions. <coughs> Meanwhile, the managers are making fewer and fewer appearances on site. On a regular basis, we're supposed to have at least three managers with marine ops that there's always somebody to contact. We currently have one, and he's not on site all the time. 
We've been negotiating for a new contract since the end of January. Since that time, we've had about six negotiation dates, many of them hard fought to even get. Things are moving slowly. Workers are getting more and more tired and fed up with having to fight for our rights. I'd like to ask for the, for the continued assistance of the San Francisco Port Commission for our effort to fight for our working rights and for better working conditions. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Is there any other public comment in the room? If not, Monica <coughs> will provide instructions for our remote callers. There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item 6A is the executive director's <coughs> report. And for callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, President Brandon, commissioners, port staff, and members of the public. I'm Elaine Forbes, the port's executive director. First and foremost, I'm excited to welcome our newest honorable commissioner, Edward Harrington, today. Mayor Breed swore in Commissioner Harrington just this last Thursday. Commissioner Harrington has served the city and county of San Francisco in many roles, including city controller from 1991 to 2008, and later as the general manager for the San Francisco Public Utility Commission from 2008 to 2021. As former city controller and general manager of the PUC Commission, Commissioner Harrington replaces Senator John Burton, who served on the Port Commission since 2020. As I reflect on the diverse and impactful contributions that each Port Commissioner makes to our organization, I cannot think of a better time to welcome uh, Commissioner Harrington. With decades of experience and a champion of good government, transparency, strategic action, you will come here just at the right time. We face unique challenges as we grow into our waterfront resilience shoes and figure out how to deliver a mega project as a small enterprise agency. Uh, we need to understand jurisdictional in issues, infrastructure implications, and do very careful design. While we're proud to lead on climate, it also creates growth spurts and growing pains for us. We're a small enterprise agency with a big mission. We also are knee deep in economic recovery and are developing near, mid, and long-term strategies to really strengthen and make our organization durable. I'm happy you're joining our visionary and impactful commission and you will guide us on this generational work and economic recovery and a host of other efforts. We are honored to have you, Commissioner Harrington. Now to economic recovery and growth. My report will mostly focus in this area and I'm gonna ask Josh Keene soon to join me. Um, so today I'm gonna focus on two really near-term, two really exciting opportunities and some near-term activations. And Josh, who is our development director, is gonna take us through an update on our economic development projects. So as a starting point, we have two great opportunities you're gonna hear about today, one in the south and one in the north. And so I'm gonna start with the south at piers 80 through 96. First, I wanna reiterate that our city's livelihood is really tied to the success of these industrial facilities in the southern waterfront and the jobs they create. In 2001, we started efforts with our community to make a one-stop industrial sh shop, essentially, which we call the Eco Industrial Center. The area supports 700 local jobs 
and shares resources um, to keep 90%, to make 90% of the construction material and debris and deal with the debris that our city needs to build. And this keeps bulky materials off our freeways. While we're very proud of what we produce there, we are excited about some forward-facing environmental opportunities. And in particular, offshore wind present, presents a very unique and exciting opportunity. Because of our location, we're positioned to become a major hub and support the growth of this industry. Uh, we want to be part of uh, getting to a great goal of 25 gigawatts of floating offshore wind by 2045, which is the state's very ambitious goal. We know this city supports innovation. We know we want to be part of climate innovation, and we couldn't think of a better industry for our port property. You'll be hearing more about this today. And also in the southern waterfront is our gateway location to the neighborhood at Pier 96. Just last week, uh, our director of the environment and president uh, of the commission, Kimberly Brandon, toured the building resource site on Amador Street. The group discussed how future operations can improve the beautification and the well-being of the community. And we also discussed Amador Street Project, uh, which we received federal infrastructure money to rebuild. And I want to thank President Brandon for your continued leadership in the Southern Waterfront. You are foundational to seeing our greener future and for the activities that happen and are sustainable today. Now to the Northern Waterfront, uh, you'll be hearing about a proposed, a proposed source, sole source uh, for, for long-term and major capital investments in the wharf. This really presents an opportunity to reinforce the history of Fisherman's Wharf as a fishing community and to have some revitalization to, into the area to inspire residents and visitors to continue to come and enjoy the wharf. We've conducted early engagement, which you'll hear about today, and we've heard loud and clear that protecting Fisherman's Wharf as a fishing port is key. Uh, whether or not to grant a sole source, of course, is the decision of the Board of Supervisors. We are following our waterfront plan engagement strategy to date at the, at the point in the process. But now I turn to interventions we want to make at the wharf now by the summer. As you know, people are returning to the wharf in big numbers, and we're very excited to see that. We also have many restaurants that are closed. Uh, to in revitalize the area, the staff has been working on a short-term plan. Um, you will see this in May. It involves working with the, um, the Waterfront Community Benefits District the, and the CBD at the wharf. Some of the exciting it, ideas are implementable for the summer. There'll be things like fresh painting, hanging flower baskets, banners, outdoor amenities, pop-up pop events like live music, dance performances, and food events. Um, all to make the crab wheel and the areas surrounding it really come to life in the best way that we can do with our partners. Okay, I'm about to turn it over to Josh Keene, but I did want to give you a brief update on Piers 3032. Today, legislation is the, at the Natural Resources Committee for consideration of the state. This is Senator Wiener's bill. And it asks the state legislature to make a trust consistency finding so that the project can then move through the regular permitting process. Our teams, the Senator's Office, the Bay Area Conservation Development Commission, the State Lands Commission, they're still working together on language. Um, and we're almost there, but the language uh, that's being worked on would clarify BCDC's role in providing leadership on how we adapt to climate change and the rising tide I'm very excited our team is at this point with the state legislature with the support of Senator Weiner. As you know, this is a challenging place to uh, develop and to work on. It's a, it's a hazard, these, these peers. 
And through a competitive solicitation process, we did select a partner that figured out to make the peers smaller would present a more feasible project. Um, and has since really listened to the public, BCDC, state lands, and the port, and has made the project better. It is taking great shape. It's now estimated to deliver $400 million of investment in sea level rise and earthquake to make that section of the waterfront durable. It also maintains our deep water berth uh, for maritime, including for crews. These were our two major infrastructure goals. Uh, so when the project come back, comes back to you, you'll hear about other public benefits and values that it may deliver. I want to wish David Beaupre, who happens to have a birthday today, and our planning direct, who is our planning director, and Boris Delapine, our uh, legislative affairs manager, very good luck in Sacramento today. Okay, now I would like to invite Josh Keene, who directs the development team, to come up and show us what's going on with our development projects. Wonderful. Thank you, Elaine. Uh, welcome, um, Commissioner Harrington, back to the city, but over to the port. Uh, Commissioner Gilman, Commissioner Lee, and President Brandon. Um, Rebecca Benassini, last, uh, the last Port Commission in April, did an overview for the real estate and some of our strategies and where the leasing activity is happening. So we wanted to look at it through a different lens here as an update for development items because we're under the same division, but very different in nature much more longitudinal. Some of these the leases themselves are 10, 20, 30, 66 year leases. But the actual negotiation process and what it takes to get these projects entitled and the long-term relationship, I mean, sometimes we go quiet for a while, but we're really working a lot behind the scenes. So we're not quite as active. And we're just thinking we want to make sure you know where, where we are with some of the marquee projects and for some of the other projects. So I wanted to use this as an opportunity through the executive director report there are some uh, development items later in the agenda, uh, but just wanted to do this more from a portfolio level for you all. Um, so let's let's start with probably the most prominent one that we're all aware of, which is Mission Rock. Um, anyone that's turned on a Giants game lately has seen these buildings going up. They are way up from where they were even in October. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about you know, what Mission Rock is, especially within phase one where we are, uh, current status, um, and then what's, what you can expect going forward um, in the, you know, with the regulatory approval through you all, um, and it's also going to be at the Board of Supervisors. A lot of action happening at Mission Rock. Um, towards the end of the presentation, I'm also going to try to let you know of things you may see over the next couple months with all of our development projects. Not an exclusive list, but it will be those. So I want to talk about Mission Rock. So phase one, it's, it's a huge success. Um, it's one of the only projects in the country, let alone in the Bay Area, to really take off during COVID with all of the capital constraints, all of the risks, all the uncertainty, which we believe is actually one of the amazing factors that it's one of the products actually coming online into market now. We think it's a really wonderful opportunity. So recap, it's a four vertical developments, um, also with a large public open space of a park that's gonna be owned by the Port of San Francisco. So the residential component, which is obviously top of mind for everybody, uh, over two buildings, it's gonna be 537 residential units 199 of those are below market rate. Um, that's just under 40%. The entire phase of all the projects once built out will be at 40%. But this is phase one, which is kind of the first one and the biggest one in front of us. Uh, additional to that is a huge com uh, commercial component, which is office and lab space, or otherwise life science space. Uh, that's one of the commercial engines of the entire development. Also supported with 65,000 square foot of ground floor retail. Um, in addition to this five and a half acre park we're talking about, 
the real vision here is it's all coming out at the same time and you're really creating a community of living, you know, working, maybe not everybody's working there, but other people are and shopping in your same area, especially with outdoor space to enjoy. So we're super excited. Um, it does not happen all the time that a phase goes out of the ground at the same moment. And I do want to get to those successes under this uh, temporary certificate of occupancy update. Um, also, if anyone's been watching the Giants game, you may have seen the Visa logo is actually outside of Building G, which is a nice sight to see. That's tied into it receiving its temporary certificate of occupancy in uh, January 2023. Visa will continue to work with, uh, with the port and with the developer um, to go ahead and make sure get the improvements ready so that it's able to occupy starting towards the end of next year, early next year. Uh, I do want to highlight in particular Parcel A. I may have, some of you may have seen some press releases about this, but Parcel A is the first residential development on the site. We expect the ter uh, temporary certificate of occupancy later next month. So it's probably not on May 9th, but by the one in June, we're going to be having that will have already occurred. And more importantly, we've actually initiated and finally launched with our partnership with MOHCD, uh, have actually launched the lottery application process for the lease up um, of the below market rate units, which there's 102, which are, and these are all inclusionary on-site units, which is fantastic, ranging between 90% average median income up to 150% average median income, which really emphasizes the, the diversity of the groups from market rate units, which are now currently under lease also, all through different levels of below market rate units. It's a huge success. Um, I have put on there on the screen, there is a marketing website directly for the canyon, as we call it. So while the development team, we think about it as parcel A, it's now become actually the canyon. And if anyone's actually seen the architectural marvel that it is, it looks exactly like that. So it's not a misnomer. Um, that's a site for anyone to visit for leasing. Also through the Mayor's Office of Housing site, the applications, as I mentioned, for the lottery are available now through May 18th. That's the first phase of this. Efforts will continue. I uh, want everyone to know, too, Parcel F, which is the re secondary residential uh, parcel, that should come online more in 2024, probably in the summer, which actually lines up nicely because the lease-up period for Parcel A should dovetail into Parcel F. So they're actually, hopefully they will sequence with each other right there. So it's a continual lease-up process to welcome residents. Um, and then Parcel B, which is actually the other side of the commercial aspect, um, is a life science building that is going to receive its uh, temporary certificate of occupancy also around the same time as Parcel A. So just wanted to highlight this. Um, for anyone that's seen it, it's a huge success to have all four parcels coming online this year and next, and people actually living and being at the site. So this will be an interesting update in the coming months. We'll let you know how that's working out. Um, just on a technical side, this is the less, less fun part, but this is how these buildings come online, is the horizontal improvements, which are the utilities, streets, and sidewalks, and you'll see this towards the end, making substantial progress, uh, expected to have a notice from Public Works that we can begin the process to start accepting it at the port and at the city. Um, so that process will be starting this year going into early 2024. Uh, now going... Um, down south just a little bit is Pier 70, which is, uh, it's a more complicated site in the sense that it's, there's a 28-acre site, which we look at as the Brookfield site. There's also the existing um, Orton development site, which is part of the Pier 70 development, which is a huge success, our, our partners at Orton, the historic core. Uh, it also involves the future Hoedown Yard site, and it also has the, the Parcel K North site, which was a site we sold to developer TMG. Um, 
but that's actually all kind of part and parcel to the Pier 70 development. While the port, this is focused on the 28-acre site itself, which we know of. Um, so phase one overview, just want to do real quick, uh, 115,000 square feet of retail arts and light industrial uses. For the most part, that's comprised of the existing historic buildings that are there. Um, but it also has 460,000 square feet of office, uh, which is going to be a portion, portion of new construction and existing buildings. Um, and obviously, we're hopeful it's entitled for in the first phase for up to 600 in future uh, residential units. Those are behind pace, um, and I'll get to that in a moment. But that is part of phase one, and we are working on that process to get it moving. Um, there is also an open space component to this, which will tie into a future acceptance by the port, also on a similar timeline as Mission Rock, and I'll speak to that later. Um, as most are aware, there's a component, and some may say it's, the market is, is challenging, which it obviously is, but this project itself has a, has a trigger in it, which is called down market delay, which tests what the performance is in the market right now. And it currently is in down market delay. And we talked about this last year, uh, commissioners. We've initiated the appraisal process to test that. Um, it'll be a couple weeks to maybe maybe a couple months, not multiple months. Uh, we will report back once we find out what that is. But we're going to test if it's still in a down market delay status. Um, it is challenging, but we also want to bring some good news on this. We are working with an affiliate of Brookfield to negotiate a potential acquisition and lease of parcel A, which is the life science building we brought forward last year um, as an amendment to, as a D for D amendment. So a lot to go on that one, but we're still hopeful that we are actually going to have some news on a parcel A tenant uh, going forward. Um, but I will, I do want to flag as a real triumph in the last two weeks. Um, some of you may have noticed that building 12, which received its TCO in early 2022, has some actual tenants right now, seven of them. 70,000 square feet, uh, including an anchor tenant of, of standard deviant brewing, um, and also a beloved um, uh, catering or baker group called Bread Belly. A uh, total of seven tenants, uh, which is a great mix for anyone that's seen that site itself. Um, looking for more on that one, including the office space there. But it is nice to see some momentum on that site, especially tied into the activation at the Orton site across the street with the restoration hardware. Um, so it's huge success on that, and I also want to let you know that uh, the horizontal improvement process with Pier 70 will also be upcoming later this year and through the board process in early 2024. Uh, to touch on quickly, Elaine gave a, a very nice overview of what's going on at Piers 3032. Uh, we're working on some uh, to, to move this forward at the state level and with other stakeholders. Um, once that happens, we're looking to move forward into more specific negotiations. Uh, this, along with our other um, uh, down the water also at Piers 38 and 40, are both parties to exclusive negotiation agreements approved by the port in early 2021. Both are challenging sites. They're both on the water. They both, uh, one of has a historic building, one has a pier that needs significant restoration. Um, but they're also critical components to uh, the South Beach and the overall citywide resiliency plans. Uh, so we're committed to both projects um, and having, having both of them, in addition to the economic vibrancy they're going to bring, uh, to be part of that process for us. The term sheet endorsement at the Port Commission happened last summer for Piers 38 and 40. As I mentioned, we will be doing that for 3032 as soon as we get some resolution on this process. So look forward to that. Both of these projects will now and in the future, and they did before, will always have continuous uh, ongoing design review and community input. 
Um, I'm not going to touch on these quite as much detail, but some of these are, are, are topical now. Some of these are items that we brought before you last year, and some of these are just wanted to let you know these are active and things are working on. Uh, there just might not be an immediate action here. Um, for those from the city side, looking at a holistic level, we, we brought forward the port's contribution towards the relocation of the fire training facility. Uh, that was last year. There's been a lot of process, including taking state legislation. And we're proud to announce we expect that to close transaction within this fiscal year, so before June 30th, which allows the city to fully assemble the site to move forward with its development um, under its, uh, for its process of, of moving the fire training facility. Uh, you're going to see on the item on the agenda later, finally, the approval of the YMCA lease, which is a huge success, uh, long-term lease, long-term partnership with the YMCA of San Francisco and its subtenants. Uh, there will be substantial construction build-out that the YMCA is going to be paying for. So this is a benefit to the port as far as it goes, the improvements at the building. Um, but the port's going to be heavily involved in this because of the substantial nature of the construction. So that's going to be something we're working on throughout. I, I did mention earlier that Parcel K North, which is part, which is part of the Pier 70 site, and I also want to flag the Petrero Power Station, which is not directly in the Pier 70 site, but is an immediate neighbor and is huge to the overall vibrancy, and it's a very active project going forward now. Port is playing a lot of coordination roles to help work with both projects to keep them moving. Um, as we did an informational item last October on Teatro Zanzani, uh, that's still moving forward. Um, obviously, design work, permitting work, and seeking financing is there, but we hope to provide information on that when, when it's relevant. Um, and then, so probably the <coughs> primer here, um, which we, we can provide an appropriate update as needed beforehand, but I wanted to let you know some of the items that will be coming forward this year to the Port Commission. Uh, from a public financing side, we, we will be looking to form the, uh, the, the, the CFD, the Community Facilities District, for the Orton site I mentioned earlier. That will have a special services tax and facilities tax that the tenant um, is required to pay under the lease, and that money will be used to offset port expenses for facilities repair. Um, and also for its service expenses. At Mission Rock, we are going to explore the viability of, now that these projects are up and running and that they're going to be leased out, of adding more public financing to repay some of the costs that are being incurred that are earning a return right now. As everyone will likely recall, and, and Commissioner Harrington, you may have seen, we actually sold about almost $100 million of debt for phase one. Um, so this will be a continuation of that next tranche hoping to initiate that process in the weeks ahead, um, obviously challenging market conditions. Same thing with Pier 70. While we do not have the vertical development happening there, there's a lot of momentum and narrative. We'll be exploring those options um, with the public finance team at the city. Uh, I did a quick indication that the Pier's 3032 term sheet will be coming to the Port Commission sometime this year. Um, that is required under the exclusive negotiating agreement in order to go through the Port Commission and then the Board of Supervisors so that we can begin CEQA. Um, and I also, I also mentioned that the Pier 70 and Mission Rock Phase 1 improvements will be happening at the port level and at the city level. And one of the bigger items, and this was tied into the Recycle Water Agreement we brought in last year, we will be bringing forward that parks lease, which is the management agreement lease of, of the China Basin Park at Mission Rock, which is intended to be with our developer, development partner and affiliate. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and leave it there. I wanted to just make sure you're, uh, we'll always be available to answer more questions now or, or whenever. Uh, I just wanted to put this proactively in front of you. 
but we can always do any kind of briefings or any kind of updates upon request. Uh, but we'll try and stay in front of this, even if there's nothing specific happening. Thank you, Josh. Thanks. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate you providing that overview. And I hope, commissioners, you found that useful to see all the various uh, work we're doing, development work, public-private partnerships, and where things lie in terms of their transaction schedule and process. We do a lot of work here through our public-private partnerships. Uh, you're going to see at the next hearing our capital plan, and we still have that $2 billion of backlog in our infrastructure. Uh, so we do find these public-private partnerships a major way uh, to bring in investments and enhance our balance sheet and now solve the big challenges of climate uh, so thank you, Josh, for that overview. I hope that pairs well with Rebecca's uh, real estate briefing during director's report last time. We're trying to give you more detail in the director's report, especially right now on how we're doing on economic recovery. So given that, I'm going to defer my report on equity and resilience uh, to next time. There's nothing urgent to report except one item I did want to amplify under equity that on that YMCA building we had a we had a gap in the project uh, that the YMCA uh, couldn't fill immediately. Uh, but Speaker Emeritus um, Nancy Pelosi uh, got got the project 2.8 million dollars. So the funding gap is resolved. We're so excited to have that building in the park. Uh, for coffee and rental of the boats and YMCA programming. It's just really going to liven up the park. And we're ex very excited that that gap is closed and the shovels can hit the ground. And then I, for, for my last item on key projects, we discussed last time how contracts sometimes come in over budget and take too much time. This one is a good story. Uh, we, the Port Engineering Group, has received a 2023 International Partner Partnering Institute Award for the Heron's Head Shoreline Resilience Project. Uh, this uh, dealt with shoreline erosion. It, it restored native wetland habitat. And it, it did create capacity to adapt to sea level rise. It created youth employment and community engagement opportunities. It was completed on time, December 2022. And we are getting an award because of our ability to be on a tight schedule, to design changes in the field, and to have a significant environmental uh, permitting, permitting requirements resolved and behind us. So congratulations to the engineering division. The award ceremony will be May 19th. And that concludes my report. Thank you very much. Thank you, Elaine. Great report. Is there any public comment in the room? <coughs> Seeing none, Monica, do, are, do we have any remote? Yes, there is one caller for, on public comment. Opening the line now. Commissioners. My name is Francisco da Costa, and from time to time, I watch your proceedings. Now, as the Director of Environmental Justice Advocacy, I've been monitoring the San Francisco Port Authority for over 40 years. There used to be a time that I never missed attending your meetings. So, I've been listening to the presentation, very general in nature. But I would like to remind you, commissioners, each one of y'all, that the 7.5 mile area that comes under the Port Authority is public trust land. 
And you have to read what public trust land means, not only for San Franciscans, but for every Californian. Now, y'all do know that y'all have to pay attention to maritime uses. So y'all go to the state and use your connections over there to create a stadium, and that's on you. But then you push forward to have housing, and you don't pay attention to pollution, that's really on you. And as far as climate change is concerned, I was listening to the Corp engineers at the bond, uh, there was a bond, uh, it's a citizens group, uh, reviewing the bonds, and the Corp engineers could not provide, uh, I would say, a good answer when it came to funding. So stop hoodwinking us in broad daylight. We need all the money for the seawall, and we need all the money for the contamination and pollution including the one million tons of coal tar near Pier 70 linked to the power station. So we need that abated and mitigated. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. DeCafta. <coughs> Excuse me, is there any more remote public comment? There is no one remaining on the phone wishing to make <coughs> public comment. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you, um, Director Forbes and Josh, for that report. Um, I had a, a couple of questions um, for Josh on the development report, and then I have a couple of comments about um, economic recovery for the director. So I just wanted, you know, again, um, you know, I, I've said this before, really um, proud of and want to commend um, the Giants in Mission Rock for the 40% affordable, um, even though it's at the higher end of AMIs, but I was just curious, are you feeling more, are you feeling confident now that the portal has launched with the Mayor's Office of Housing through Dahlia on the online application that will meet um, our criteria um, for rent up? Yeah, we do. I, it's it, it's going to be a combination of how the below market rate units go and the market rate units. They are separate, but one and the same as far as it goes. So early indication, and we don't have any we can't, we can't test any of the BMR units right now because of the application process. Uh, but from the developer's perspective, significant interest. So right now, uh, we feel that it's up, it's launching at the right time um, because we wouldn't be able to occupy the units anyways until the TCO occurs. Right. So we're thinking it's staggered very nicely by June. Okay. Um, we will update when we have some actual info on there. But yes, I would say the, the, the leasing interest has been significant um, at this point. Okay, great, because I, I, I do think we should recognize and for the public to understand that this is the first of a kind project for the city and county of San Francisco where the AMI levels have exceeded 80%. So it's writing a new way of doing business, a new way of leasing and marketing affordable housing. That's sort of the first of its kind and that innovation that the port is so known for. So I just wanted to check in that we were getting applicants through the Dahlia system and outreach was occurring. Yeah. I I, I, will, I will be honest, I don't know the exact applicants we've had because they, they yeah, usually, I don't know how much they're tracking until then, but we will know after May 18th what the okay. profile of that looks like. But yes, it's, it's, 
it's part of the appeal because it's not simply low income and it's not simply market rate units. It right. is a real spectrum, but it it is a different situation that we're going to have to track and see how it goes. And what we're looking for is hopefully lessons learned that we can share outward um, on how this actually works. But okay. right now we're confident. Yes. Okay, great. And then my other question, I just it was just more to remind me, um, you would think after like six years I'd remember this, but um, and also sort of to the public comment we heard, the, my, my understanding was except for a, like maybe a paper street or a street, the power plant is not on port property. It, it's not on port property. It's privately owned. It's just because of how it's located, it's some throughways through there. So it's yes. more some land rights. Um, there may be a scenario where we come with a license or whatnot and forward. We're discussing trying to be good neighbors um, with, with power station. But it is not on port property, correct? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify for, for the public comment on whatever environmental issues are at there or what the development <coughs> plans are that we didn't weigh in and approve that project. I know that was before my time. Yeah, that would be approved through the city. Josh, if I could add, please, the shoreline is encumbered with the public trust. So what, what the commission uh, worked on is to ensure that there was public trust, there's public access, and it linked well to our property. So that was one piece. And there was also some integration relative to street rules that affected Pier 70 and Potrero, and we worked together to resolve those issues. And, and the project is dependent upon public streets that will be going through the project, through some of the projects. So. Yes, they're yeah. indirectly related, and in those aspects that Elaine's talking about, at the shoreline in particular, more directly. Okay. No, and it's great that we're coordinating with the Pier 70 work. I just wanted, I guess, to the point from the call <coughs> yeah. around environmental cleanup or housing, no housing, or what's happening there, that that was something that's not in our jurisdiction. This is correct. Um, thank you, Josh. Sure. Thank you, Commissioner Goodman. And then, um, Director Forbes, I just wanted to say how excited I am for the you know, possibility of hearing more about how we can innovate and do pop-ups. You know, our economic recovery is, is so vital. Um, and in that vein, I guess I just wanted to take a moment um, to say for the record from the perspective I have that with our economic recovery coming and Alcatraz Tours being one of our most visited sites um, here in San Francisco, that I really hope that the operator would begin to bargain in good faith. As someone who, in my previous role, I'm proud that I negotiated three contracts with SCIU 10 to 1 sitting on the side as management, I know that you can come to the table in good faith, you can manage well and right and do what's right by your employees. I'd hate to see massive picket lines and having tourists turn away during the summer months because this labor dispute can't be handled. So I hope that um, this can be resolved as soon as possible. And thank you for your report. Thank you. Commissioner Lee. Um, Josh, great report. I mean, my God, it's so much work. And with all the new projects coming up, we're going to be busy. Uh, my only question is on all the square footage, I'm glad that we are uh, adding a lot of commercial opportunities for small business. Uh, Mike, do we have any input with the developers on how large uh, these units are going to be? Because um, are they just waiting for whoever comes in, they built to suit, and they're kind of stuck with it? Or is there going to be a model of, of a maximum square footage that's affordable so that it gives the small business opportunities for people? So, Commissioner Lee, you're talking about the size of, of retail, not the commercial, right? So it's that it's not oversized, that it's right. something that can be affordable. Yeah, you got one building, 165 square thousand square feet, and you have another one. You know, Pier 70 has square footage. Um, you know, yeah, yeah I would, I, I may have Rebecca supplement this a little because it moves into the re uh, into the real estate side out mm -hmm. of the development. Generally speaking, they're all going to be different at Mission Rock, at Pier 70, and then 
let's let's say some of the other developments um, from a Pier 70 side. If you look at Building 12, the way it's configured, it is a three-story kind of very open experience versus a, a ground-level retail that's more traditional, supporting the actual re residential and commercial buildings above it. Um, I, I know that they're they're varying in size and they're trying to exceptionally accommodate different res uh, different retail groups and acknowledging the challenges but there's been significant interest that I don't think they've announced anything um, but at Mission Rock and if you know the, the recent ones at Pier 70 um, I can't speak for that but I'm sure that they're mindful of it but maybe Becca might know yeah. a little more thank you Commissioner Rebecca Benesini just to add on we when we approved the project at Mission Rock approved a retail strategy so that really guided absolutely small store frontages along the main thoroughfare that takes you north to south um, so there, that's our main hook in terms of what they're going to deliver, and the buildings comply with that and look really, really great. And, and Josh is right. When we hear who they've selected, I think we'll be pleased. We don't know who they are, but we know that they've been having some good activity. Good. That's all I wanted to add. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many empty storefronts right now. I hate to be building new empty storefronts, so I just hope that the developer, and which sounds like it's it's part of the plan, that the smaller units and bigger units will be combined. So. Yes, and these retail opportunities are in a mixed, they're in a neighborhood uh, yeah. location. So they should mirror more like our res, uh, neighborhood residential districts are doing citywide, which is very strong retail uh, because it is a neighborhood that's being built, not uh, just an office or a commercial right. area. Right. Yeah, I think uh, servicing those office workers as well helps a lot too. So thank you very much. Great, great report. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, thank you Madam Chair. Um, obviously, there's so much going on here that I'm still learning, but thank you for the report. Just one really small question. Um, you talked about the immediate things you can do at Fisherman's Wharf. I know the mayor's office has a new program for art pop-ups that will last for, I think, three months at a time, and they give money to the landlord and to the people that are there, and they arrange it all. Are we involved in that at all, or is that part of what could happen out there? I'll take, thank you. I'll take that one. We're definitely monitoring all the city programs, and we have a great staff member who came to us from OEWD, Amy Cohen, who you'll hear from in May, who is very aware of those programs and is ascertaining whether or not we could participate or if the focus is really elsewhere. So thanks for the question. Thank you. Uh, Elaine, thank you so much for the report. Josh, a wonderful update on all the projects we have going on here at the port. I, too, want to welcome Commissioner Harrington. I think uh, we are honored to have you here with your vast knowledge and expertise of so many of the ha happenings within the city, but definitely your expertise on large infrastructure projects and you see all that we have going on along with the resilience <laughs> effort. So you came just at the right time, and I want to welcome you. I can't wait to work with you once we delve into all these projects. So welcome. Um, Elaine, thank you so much for the report. I think there's great opportunities, short and long-term, in Fisherman's Wharf, and I think the staff is on top of it. And whatever we can do to revitalize the area and make sure that the tourists continue to see it as a great place as they always have. Um, I think we also have wonderful opportunities in the southern waterfront, piers 80 through 96, and with new technologies, new, new ways to create jobs for the surrounding communities. 
Um, it's, it's amazing how much work is being done here at the board. It's amazing. How many people do we have in our develop, on our development team? Just wondering. Wow. <laughs> well, there's six, right, if you count Josh? <laughs> well, you are all doing an incredible job, and thank you for keeping all these projects going. Um, it's definitely going to lead to the city's economic recovery, and we are at the front gate of recovery. So thank you, everyone. Jenica, next item, please. Item seven is the consent calendar. And for callers who wish to make public comment on the consent calendar, calendar, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Item seven A requests approval of a mutual termination agreement with DNG Company, DBA Lewis Pier 47, lease number L-14630 and license number 14651 for premises at 300 Jefferson Street Seawall Lot 302, San Francisco, California, 94111, subject to Board of Supervisors approval. That's Resolution 2317. Item 7B, requests approval of a mutual termination agreement with 340 Jefferson, LLC, DBA Pompey's Grotto, lease number L-8986 and license number E-13772 for premises at 340 Jefferson Street, Seawall Lot 302, San Francisco, California, 94111, subject to Board of Supervisors approval. That's Resolution 2318. Item 7C is a proposed lease amendment, second amendment, to L-16997 lease with Andre Boudin Bakeries, Inc. for Chowder Hut Restaurant to extend the deadline for construction of improvements to patio <coughs> and revise the scope of development to patio improvements to reduce total patio area enclosed. That's resolution 2319. And item 7D requests approval of proposed development and multi-use lease of building 49 located at 701 Illinois Street within Crane Cove Park by the YMCA of San Francisco for an initial term of 10 years plus options to extend for a total term of up to 34 years and a fee waiver for a companion license agreement. That is resolution 2320. Thank you. Commissioners, can I have a motion? I so move. Second. Is there any public comment on the consent calendar? Seeing none, Monica will give us instructions for remote callers or let us know if there are any remote callers. Yes, there is one caller for public comment, opening the first line now. Thank you. Caller, you are live. Caller, you are live. You could speak up. There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? 
Motion resolution 2317, 18, 19, and 20 are adopted. <coughs> Jenica, next item, please. The next item is 8A, and court staff has asked to present this item as an informational presentation at the no action be taken today. Um, this is a proposed license 17036 with GSW Arena LLC, a Delaware limited liability company for three separate white zone curb spaces totaling approximately 624 linear feet, two separate yellow zone curb spaces totaling approximately 337 linear feet, and 80 metered parking spaces on game and special event dates located in and around Chase Center for a term of 10 years with two five-year options to extend subject to Board of Supervisors approval. For callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Thank you so much, Jenica. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Rebecca Benassini, Deputy Director for Real Estate and Development. I want to introduce Jennifer G, our Senior Property Manager, who will provide you the informational presentation. I just wanted to intro and thank her and Kimberly Beal, our Assistant Deputy Director, and Grace Park for working quickly on this item. We overzealously got very close to acting on it, but we really got ahead of our partners and didn't provide them sufficient time to review the license. So we want to do an informational today. Um, it's a continuation of a curb space license, a new license for uh, similar uses as the Golden State Warriors have been using the space for. Um, it generates more than a million dollars in revenue, which is why it's subject to um, Port Commission and Board of Supervisors approval. And Jennifer will give you the details. Um, good afternoon, President Brandon, Commissioners Gilman Lee, and welcome Commissioner Harrington. Um, my name is Jennifer G, the Senior Property Manager for the Southern Waterfront of the Port's uh, Real Estate and Development Team. Uh, to reiterate Becca's note, I would like to thank you for your understanding on hearing this item today as informational with the potential 20-year term of the license agreement. Uh, the Golden State Warriors and Port staff want to ensure that everything is detailed and fine-tuned. Um, before I get started, I do want to thank my colleagues for their guidance and assistance in bringing this item forward to you today. Kimberly Beal, Becca Benassini, uh, our now retired attorney, uh, Rona Sandler, and Grace Park. Um, the item being presented is a proposed new license to use property with GSW Arena LLC, also known as the Golden State Warriors, uh, for use of the perimeter perimeter streets around the Chase Center. Um, they include three passenger loading zones, two commercial loading zones, and in addition, the license also covers their reservation and use of 80 metered parking spaces on game and special event days. So a little bit of background. Um, in 2019, the Port Commission approved parking and access restrictions to accommodate games and events on Port Streets in and around the Chase Center that were consistent with the Chase Center access uh, plan that was developed by SFMTA um, along with Port's input. As you, as you may recall, the Port's Harbor Traffic Code was also recently amended to establish designated passenger and commercial loading zones on these streets to improve traffic flow, pedestrian and vehicular safety, as well as enforcement. Since then, the Port has entered into a non-exclusive license agreement with GSW for their use of the white and yellow zones and 80 metered spaces. This license, this existing license, um, will expire in June of this year. Recognizing Chase Center will be in the Mission Bay area for quite some time, GSW and the Port wish to enter into a new non-exclusive 
license agreement for use of the same area for an initial term of 10 years with two five-year extension options. The proposed license requires approval by both the Port Commission and the Board of Supervisors as the length of term is over 10 years and anticipated revenues are over $1 million. Now let's talk about the terms of the license. Uh, the proposed new license includes uh, GSW's non-exclusive use of white and yellow curb spaces for passenger and commercial loading. Um, and also 80 metered parking stalls on game and special event days on the perimeter streets of the Chase Center, uh, specifically Terry Francois Boulevard, 16th Street, Illinois Street, and Warriors Way. The term proposed is 10 years with two five-year extension options. The license fees are at current parameter rates and will also include annual increases. The revenue over the initial 10-year term is approximately $1.5 million. Provided GSW exercises both of their options to extend, the potential total revenue of uh, the license over the entire term is approximately $3.5 million. In addition, every game and event will also generate $1,008 for use of the 80 metered spaces, um, and the port reserves the right to increase these rates according to the city's <coughs> meter rate policy. Uh, we anticipate GSW's continued use of the license area will increase parking revenues to the port, improve traffic flow in the area, improve pedestrian and vehicular safety, as well as improve parking enforcement and likely decrease citations that are issued. Uh, in 2015, the SF Commission on Community Investment and Infrastructure, OCII, certified the final subsequent environmental impact report for the GSW Event Center and mixed-use project at Mission Bay Blocks 29 through 32. This proposed license is within the scope of the FSEIR and it's also certified in compliance with CEQA. In addition, the proposed use of these streets has been presented to the Southern Advisory Committee. Um, in conclusion, staff recommends the Port Commission direct staff to bring the proposed license for approval to the Commission on May 9th. If approved, the next steps uh, are for the license to be presented to the Board of Supervisors uh, for final approval. That concludes my presentation for today. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Now let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? <coughs> Seeing none, Monica, do we have any remote public comment? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you very much. And I gather we're not talking, we're not going to be approving this today anyway. Yes. My understanding is that it is completely consistent with what's happening now. It's just a renewal or other changes. Uh, there might be some small changes to small the boilerplate, um, maybe the insurance coverage. I mean the spaces. Oh, the spaces, yes. The license area is the same. I mean, typically, just so you know, for future things, the privatization of, of public property like metered spaces is not, I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of that, but clearly we've been doing this as part of the expectation. I'm fine with it. Uh, this is also a non-exclusive license, so when the warriors are not using it. But um, it's still. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Lee. Well, I, for one, I support anything that makes it public safety and parking easier for people to be unloaded during these events. I mean, there's, I drive down Third Street during um, 
a warrior game and it, I mean, they do a great job, but I do see that a lot of people are still using their cars. And before we all switch over to 100% public transportation, I'm glad the warriors can see that in the next 10 years at least. So I'm supportive of this. And nothing's changed, like you say, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman? Um, I have no technical questions. Um, and my understanding is the reason this is not delegated authority is because of the 10-year term and the revenue, because correct. this is just an extension um, of something we have been doing in practice, correct? Yes, we will be terminating the existing license, and then we will be, um, <coughs> uh, we will be executing a new license. Okay, thank yeah. you for the continued use, thank you. Thank you, I think my question was answered, so I appreciate you bringing this to us, and as long as nothing's changed except for the rates, um, we'll see you next month. Thank you. Thank you. Jenica, next item, please. Item 8B requests approval of a proposed new memorandum of understanding with the San Francisco Department of the Environment for approximately 27,502 square feet of paved land, approximately 5,766 square feet of unpaved land, and approximately 3,615 square feet of shed space at Seawall Lot 344 for a term of five years. That is Resolution 2322. So good afternoon, President Brandon, Commissioners. I'm Kim Bill, with the, I'm the Assistant Deputy Director for Real Estate, and I'm here today seeking port commission approval of a new memorandum of understanding or MOU with the San Francisco Environment Department for Space at Seawall Lot 344 for operation of a reuse facility for building materials. Joining me today as part of this presentation is Alexa Kilty, Residential Zero Waste Senior Coordinator with the San Francisco Environment Department. This item is being brought before the port commission for approval as the item will exceed a million dollars over the term of the agreement. As part of today's presentation, I will be providing background on the use of the site, a summary of the request and key terms of the MOU. Alexa will be providing an overview of the Environment Department's mission and goals and why this location is key to helping meet those goals. Upon conclusion, both Alexa and I will be available for questions. So entering into a new MOU with the Environment Department will meet the port's strategic objectives of sustainability by advancing the concept of environmental stewardship through recycling and reuse efforts and stability by managing the real estate portfolio to maximum, maximize value and income to the port and retain a tenant that can perform through economic cycles. So the San Francisco Department of the Environment has been a tenant at Seawall Lot 344, specifically 701 Amador Street, for over two decades. They occupy a total of approximately 37,000 square feet, consisting of paved land, excuse me, unpaved land and shed space. The current MOU expired March 31 of 2015, so the existing tenancy is month to month. Through San Francisco Community Recyclers, San Francisco Environment operates Building Resources, a reuse center designed to receive, sort, process, and resell reclaimed and surplus building materials 
with the goal of reducing the quantity of building materials being disposed of at landfills through active recycling. San Francisco Environment issued an RFP for a new site operator and requested a new MOU to ensure control of the site for continued, excuse me, continued operations as the property is vital to the city achieving its mandated climate goals. In developing the RFP, San Francisco Environment consulted with port staff to ensure any concerns with existing operations were addressed <coughs> through the RFP criteria. As a result, the RFP incorporated Port Southern Waterfront community benefits, community benefits and beautification policy into the criteria. Respondents were asked to explain how diversity, equity, and inclusion goals would be incorporated into the business plan, if classes could be offered to the public on how to utilize reusable building materials, and asked how the business would improve exterior screening of the facility. San Francisco Environment also included both a port staff member and a Southern Advisory Committee member on the selection panel. The new MOU will be for a term of five years. The rent was recently increased to the low end of parameter, but, but will increase by 3% upon commencement of the new agreement and will be increased annually by 3%. <coughs> 6.5% of the revenues, or approximately $80,000 over the term, will be set aside for community benefits and beautification as the MOU is subject to the Southern Waterfront Community Benefits and Beautification Policy. The MOU will incorporate the commitments made by Environment Department to improve exterior screening of the site, to address the community's diverse and historically underserved populations through workforce economic development, and to work collaboratively with community groups to expand education, awareness, and benefits of building products reuse. Although the Environment Department will have the ability to contract with a third-party operator, the agreement will be with, San Francisco with the San Francisco Environment Department. Therefore, it will be their responsibility to ensure the commitments made are kept. So at this time, I would like to introduce Alexa Kelty with the San Francisco Environment Department. I believe is joining remotely. Good afternoon, commissioners. Can everyone hear me? Yep. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Alexa Kelty. I'm the Residential Zero Waste uh, Senior Coordinator at the Environment Department. I'm, I'm calling remotely because we are on an all-day work retreat at a farm doing restoration work. So apologies, I couldn't be there. Um, I'm going to take a few minutes to explain um, the importance of why uh, Department of the Environment needs a building reuse center in San Francisco. Um, next slide, please. Um, so. One of the main goals of our department is to bring the city to carbon neutrality. So we have a goal of reaching carbon neutrality by the year 2040. Next slide, please. And the construction industry is key in that. Um, about 20 to 25 percent of what we're currently sending to our landfill right now is construction debris. And uh, we know around 23 percent of in, uh, building and construction in San Francisco is um, contributing to our greenhouse gases. 
So we know uh, reuse and uh, construction building material reuse is critical because the more we reuse, the lower those carbon emissions will be related to the building industry. Next slide, please. Um, in addition to uh, our carbon goals, we also have a, a zero waste goal. We want to cut our landfill in half by uh, the year 2030 from our 2015 goals. So we, we, we definitely need to reduce what we're sending to landfill. And um, in the year 2021, Mayor Breed did sign our climate action plan. Um, and we recommitted to goals uh, related to the building industry and reuse. And that falls under the responsible production and consumption section of our climate action plan. Next slide, please. There are three parts that are related to the construction industry. The first part is um, we are required to pass a deconstruction uh, ordinance in San Francisco that would basically require for our building stock to be deconstructed as opposed to demolished. And usually they'll put a date of about 1950 or uh, they're trying to preserve old growth tim timber before a certain date um, for old construction. Next, we wanna uh, develop guidelines for tenant improvement projects that uh, utilize reused materials. So in order to do that, we need to have uh, building material reuse yards that are accessible for tenant improvements for people to access reused building materials. And the third thing is we want to build um, a policy framework for regional building material reuse. What that means is we want to be connected to other building material reuse uh, facilities throughout the Bay Area. There's a number already um, in operation and we want to expand what can be uh, purchased uh, online as well. So we got to expand the online markets. Next slide, please. So uh, where we are at in the process, we just completed our review of our RFP. We issued an RFP because we needed to update the site. We know we wanted to modernize the site. I know there's a lot of issues around beautification that we wanted to address. So we issued an RFP, it recently closed. There were two applicants. We will be announcing uh, the winner uh, probably in the next week or so, early May. Um, it is the two that did apply our local uh, building materials uh, reuse facilities that already operate in the Bay Area, not in San Francisco currently, but um, the two applicants, one is from the North Bay and one was from the East Bay. The current operator did not apply. Um, and we hope to have an agreement in place around summer um, to help with that transition process. So uh, we are looking forward to a partnership with the port to not only beautify the neighborhood, but also to help the city reach our climate goals and um, also working with the new operator. So uh, I will hand it back to uh, Ms. Spiel. So thanks for Lexi. Alexa, I'm sorry. So in conclusion, and the port staff recommends approval of Re resolution 2322 to enter a new MOU with the San Francisco Environment Department for use of space at seawall lot 344 and welcome the port commission's questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you, Kim and Alexa. Great report. Can I have a motion? I make a motion that we move this item. Second it. Is there any public comment? Seeing none, Monica, is there any remote public comment? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you, public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you so much for your report. I support the item and have no questions. 
Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. I agree. I'm good. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Lee. I'm going to say more <laughs> because this thing is a great resource, especially with us people that build a lot. And my wife yells at me because I hold building materials, you know, for the future. Is it uh, once we get the, the operator going, um, how much can port kind of can we like on our social media tell people in the public that they can buy resources at this place? Because um, I don't think in the past operator there has been much uh, public outreach and knowing that this facility is there. So I don't know. I can't say too much about I was on the selection committee, the scoring okay. committee. Yeah. So I can't really say too much about what um, is being brought or suggested to be brought forth with the new operator. But I will say there are some marketing efforts that they will be doing as part of the operations at this site. And we will definitely be working with them to try to make it known um, as to what can be brought to the site right. and how to use it. And I definitely see it being more active um, than what it is currently. I think um, with building supplies going up, uh, re you know, reusable resources are actually a deal. So yeah, I fully support this, this MOU. Thank you. Uh, Kimberly, thank you again. Um, I had the opportunity to tour uh, the site last week with Director Forbes, Director Jew, Alexa, David Bupre, and I was so surprised. I had never been inside, and I didn't know what type of materials there, what they were collecting. I mean, they had everything. They had doors, they had toilets, they had wood, they had glass, they had everything. But because, you know, this site is right at the gateway to the Bayview community, you could just tell from a distance that it was an eyesore. And so I, that's why I kept asking about beautification. What are we doing? And, and the current um, operator is doing a really good job of trying to clean up and get rid of a lot of stuff that they should have never accepted and to, you know, get it, the site ready for whoever the new respondent is. But I think it's a jewel. The site has so many wonderful items that, you know, and so I wish that we can do a better job of letting people know that that use is there. And um, because I think there's just a lot of great little, little things that, you know, we can all use in our homes. <laughs> um, but I do look forward to hearing about, you know, the RFP selection and understanding what type of improvements and upgrades are going to be made with this RFP. And I wish you had the slide that David showed me last week because we received a grant to upgrade Amador Street and landscape and beautify it so all of it together is going to is going to make that particular corner look much better. Agreed. So I'm I, I just look forward to you coming back and sharing with us who uh, won the selection process and what upgrades they're going to make to the site. And there was one other thing. The current staff, the current staff, some of them have been there for over 30 years. So if there's anything we can do with the new operator to keep, to try to keep the current staff, that would be absolutely wonderful. Because they, they were just, they didn't know what was going on. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. Jenica, uh, uh, this is an action item. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? 
Resolution 2322 has been adopted unanimously. Jenica, next item, please. Item 8C is an informational presentation on a proposed interagency cooperation agreement with Transbay Joint Powers Authority regarding Port Staff's work program and reimbursement of Port's costs related to Phase 2 of the Transbay program. For callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Madam President and Commissioners, I ask to recuse myself. I am a member of the board of the TJPA, so Michael Martin will be acting as port director for this item. Thank you. Good afternoon, President Brandon, Commissioners Lee and Gilman, and welcome, Commissioner Harrington. My name is Jamie Hurley. I'm a project manager in the Real Estate and Development Group. Um, I'm, here today, I'm here today to provide you a brief presentation regarding what is being termed an interagency cooperation agreement, or ICA, which is related to a major regional transportation infrastructure project led by the Transbay Joint Powers Authority, or TJPA. I wanted to start with a brief overview of the TJPA project called the Downtown Rail Extension Project, which is really phase two of a project that began with the construction of the Salesforce Transit Center. This new phase of the project is about construction of a rail corridor that will extend from the, from the Salesforce Transit Center, which is shown in terms of its location um, in the red box located in the upper right portion of this map, um, to the Caltrain station at 4th and Townsend, which is indicated in the red box in the lower left of this map. Here is a closer look at the portion of the rail extension route that is near the terminus of the route at the Caltrain station. And what you see here in light purple color is a stretch of Townsend Street that has been identified as Burtonac parcels subject to the public trust. And this is the reason behind the port's involvement in the project. <clears throat> the reason we are here today is because the TJPA and the city have decided that the best way to coordinate with all of the various city departments involved in such a large, complex project is to create a single agreement that everyone signs on to rather than a series of individual agreements or MOUs. Again, this master coordination agreement is called the Interagency Cooperation Agreement, or ICA. Perhaps the most important part of the or aspect to the ICA is that it provides a mechanism for the port to be reimbursed for its project costs or its costs related to its work on the project, including staff costs and any third-party costs that may be occurred. At your next Port Com Commission meeting on May 9th, we will be back here seeking your approval for the port to sign on to the ICA along with a host of other city departments once all of the departments have given their consent to the ICA, it will be forwarded by the TJPA to the Board of Supervisors, uh, excuse me, by the TJPA and OEWD to the Board of Supervisors for approval, which is expected to occur in June. Then, beginning in FY23-24 and likely extending into the following fiscal year, the port's scope of work which is described in your staff memorandum um, on a sort of a broad overview level, 
Um, that will be refined and our work on the project will begin. And any actions or approvals, including any transactions involving the Burton Act parcels, will be considered separately um, in the future. So I wanted to make that clear that today's item and the action item um, on May 9th is simply about consenting to the ICA. Before I close, I want to thank Anna Harvey from the TJPA and Lee Lutensky from OEWD, who are here and sitting behind me. Um, thank you for being here, and I want to thank you, commissioners, for your time. Anna, Lee, and I are happy to answer any questions you may have. That concludes my presentation. Thank you, Jamie. We will now open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Monica. There is no public comment on the phone. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee. Um, I mean, <clears throat> it's great for the future. I mean, I, I know that the uh, high-speed rail might be a long ways away, but if, once this tunnel and everything is completed, even though we don't have high-speed rail, Caltrans will be using it to bring the trains to downtown or to the Trans Bay. Thanks, Commissioner uh, Lee. I think I'm going to have Anna uh, Harvey from the TJPA address any kind of project-related questions. Yeah. Absolutely. Good afternoon, Commissioners and um, President Brandon. Anna Harvey, Deputy Project Director for Engineering at TJPA, asked your question regarding Caltrain. Yes, upon opening Phase 2 of the Transbay program, um, as executed by TJPA, will uh, host the Caltrain service into the already constructed train box that's underneath the Salesforce Transit Center and at a future date high-speed rail will join that initial operator. So <clears throat> by that time everything will be electrified I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Right? Um, okay I mean I mean we're talking about how long do you think I mean we know how long the subway took <laughs> to go tunnel through downtown what do you have the estimates once things get started in three years from now? Absolutely. So in November of last year, we completed preliminary engineering to approximately a 30% level. And the schedule that went along with that said that we would reach revenue service in September of 2032. 2032. Okay. I don't know if I'll be here, but all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Harrington. So I was the first chief financial officer for the Transbay Joint Powers Authority <laughs> because nobody else would do it. Um, and it's a great building, and I'm so proud of it, and I just hope before I die I see a train come in there. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Commissioner Gilman. I have no questions. I have no questions either, so we look forward to seeing you when you come back. Thank you, Jamie. Jenica, next item, please. We're calling Director Forbes back as well. Looks like she's busy. Item is item 9A, which is an informational update to the Port Commission on staff's efforts and paths to support State of California Assembly Bill 525 
to develop a strategic plan for offshore wind energy deployment off the California coast in federal waters. For callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, commissioners. Mike Martin, assistant port director. I wanted to make just a few framing comments before Mr. Coleman gives the rest of the presentation today. So in 2021, the state legislature and the governor set the state on a path to, to deploy uh, up to 25 gigawatts of floating <coughs> offshore wind energy, gener energy generation by 2045. The important word in that phrase is floating. So right now there is offshore wind energy being generated all around the world, and very much so on the East Coast and in Europe. The vast majority of that is fixed bottom assets, so things that are actually anchored to the seafloor and the power connection to bring the power back to the shore comes from that anchor point. What we're hoping to do in California is access areas offshore where there is a, 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 a consistent wind resource that is in very deep water. So basically, the technical answers to the challenges of fixed bottom kind of have to be amended and revised as we look at this new challenge of how do you build these giant turbines offshore, how do you anchor them so they don't float away, and how do you bring the power back to the shore all in a way that doesn't negatively impact the environment and undercut the benefits we're trying to get by cleaning up our energy mix. Um, so there are a vast array of government agencies and private actors working on these challenges right now. Um, and we, uh, as the port, are trying to ascend this learning curve as well. What we found at this early stage is that our location and our southern waterfront maritime facilities are a really good match for what the state needs. And there aren't enough locations like ours to do all of the work they need to do. So we see this as a great maritime opportunity but one that hasn't quite come into focus yet because of these outstanding questions. So we wanted to come to you at a stage where we don't have a firm view of where we fit, but we wanted to update you on what we've learned as a first step in an ongoing effort to inform you as we see what opportunities are there and how we can capitalize and contribute to this really important thing the state's trying to do. So we're gonna get a lot of information today. Uh, we welcome your questions and direction from here and we plan to be back before you as we try to answer those questions going forward. So I just wanted to give that as a little framing. We, we may not have all the answers today um, and it's sort of an awkward position for us to be in because we don't have that project to pitch yet, but we think by building this relationship and this dialogue with you and the public, we'll hopefully be in a better, better space to move quickly when the time comes. So with that, I'll hand it off to Mr. Coleman. Thank you. Good afternoon, President Brandon, commissioners. Um, welcome, Commissioner Harrington. Uh, my name is Andre Coleman, Deputy Director of Maritime, here to, <clears throat> here to apprise you of, of staff's uh, initial efforts as it relates to offshore wind, specifically California Assembly Bill uh, 525, which includes the development of a strategic plan for offshore wind along uh, our California coast. Um, so what, uh, what is offshore wind ener energy? Uh, you heard uh, some opening remarks from from Mike Martin, uh, but offshore wind uh, power is the generation of electricity through wind forms and bodies of water, uh, usually at sea. There are higher wind speeds offshore than on land, uh, so offshore, offshore uh, forms generate more electric, electricity per amount of capacity uh, installed. Uh, they are a proven source of clean energy, and uh, there are several offshore wind projects in development on the East Coast. 
And I'll shortly touch on California's goal for deploying this technology. At the federal level, you have the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, the, or commonly referred to as BOEM. BOEM promotes energy independence, environmental protection, and economic development by managing offshore energy resources, and they are the lead federal agency for offshore wind development. Uh, planning for offshore wind energy development began taking shape uh, as early as 2009 when the Department of the Interior developed uh, regulations for renewable energy uh, development. BOEM's authority extends from three nautical miles uh, offshore, ending at 200 nautical miles offshore. Uh, since 2013, BOEM has conducted nine competitive lease sales in the United States for uh, call areas. And as of July, or excuse me, June of 2021, uh, there were 42 megawatts of installed offshore wind operating capacity in the United States. On the West Coast, a bomb has des designated two call areas uh, on the California coast in federal waters uh, to the north uh, off of Humboldt Bay and in the south off of Morrow Bay. The state level, uh, Assembly Bill AB, or excuse me, Assembly Bill 525, uh, initiated in September of 2021 by Governor Newsom, was signed into law uh, and took effect on January January 1 of 2022. Uh, AB 525, which was sponsored by um, former Assembly Member David Chu, requires the California Energy Commission, in coordination with federal, state, and local energy development. Uh, excuse me, federal, state, and local agencies and a wide variety of, of stakeholders to develop a strategic plan for offshore wind energy development off the California coast in federal waters. Uh, the CEC, or the California Energy Commission, must submit the strategic plan uh, to the California Natural Resources Agency and the legislature uh, no later than June 30th of 2023. Uh, what's encompassed in that the CEC's offshore wind strategic plan um, is the uh, plan is required to address and assess uh, sufficient sea space to meet California's uh, ambitious offshore wind goals, address economic and workforce development, include a plan to improve waterfront, waterfront facilities that uh, can support a range of floating offshore wind energy development activities, uh, transmission planning, and it's required to provide information on potential impacts uh, on coastal resources, fisheries, Native American indigenous, indigenous people's lands, and national defense, as, as well as strategies for addressing those impacts. Um, as far as the West Coast offshore wind call areas, uh, on December, in December of 2022, uh, BOEM held their first California lease sale for areas, which I, I referenced off of the um, Humboldt Bay and off of Morrow Bay. The auction allowed qualified offshore wind developers to bid on um, these lease areas, and it resulted in winning bids for five, um, five companies totaling just over $750 million. The lease areas have the potential to produce 4.6 gigawatts of offshore wind energy, on the right, uh, there's a map identifying those lease areas. And again, that's uh, to the north off of Humboldt Bay and to the south, uh, Morrow Bay. Um, for one of the 
near-term projects. Uh, we have the California Demonst Demonstration Project, more commonly referred to as uh, CADEMO. That is a joint venture be between uh, two developers, and it will kickstart the offshore wind industry on the U.S. West Coast with the deployment of four uh, wind turbines in state water, well ahead of the much, uh, much larger multi-gigawatt deployment in uh, federal waters. Uh, this, these projects will be situated off of the uh, Santa Barbara County coast, um, just west of the Vandenberg Space Force Base in California. And again, it will uh, include four wind turbines with uh, approximately 60 megawatts of, uh, included in the demonstration project. A sport port staff has met with uh, Cademo to emphasize the alignment of their project with the port's mission and portfolio's objectives, as well as the port's ability to support uh, their development. Uh, based on these uh, initial discussions or early discussions with Cademo, Cademo uh, has included the port as a pot potential location for fabrication of floating wind uh, turbine foundations. So those are the foundational structures uh, that will then have the, the tentacles or the anchor, anchors to the seabed. Um, and uh, that the port has been included in the notice of preparation for uh, environmental impact uh, report for this project. Um, so as far as the port's positioning in all of this, oops, Sorry, this is a duplicate. Okay. Uh, the advantages of, of our port uh, acreage and uh, facilities of Pier 96. Um, so in our early discussions, the, the port, we are limited, or the Port of San Francisco, uh, we are limited to uh, restricted from, from full assembly, uh, giving our air draft restrictions, the Golden Gate Bridge and the uh, Bay Bridge. Um, but uh, our advantages, <clears throat> include uh, our acreage. Uh, so we have uh, at Pier 96, uh, 25 acres of, acres of available wharf space. Our backlands, uh, which has a minimum of 12 acres of, of backland space. Um, and then of course we have our deep water berths uh, at Piers 96 and the adjacent piers. Based on information shared by potential developers, BOEM, CEC staffers, uh, the Port of San Francisco is well situated to compete for a key role in the development of offshore wind industry uh, based on several key attributes uh, that I, I just mentioned. Um, to add to some of the, uh, the attributes that I mentioned, I'd also like to uh, just note that uh, we have the synergies of our eco-industrial uh, complex with the concrete batch plants being within close proximity of, of these uh, ideal locations um, to support manufacturing of these uh, concrete bases. Uh, we also have skilled workforce availability. Um, so whether it's the, uh, with the Bay Metal Trades Union and other local unions uh, to support this effort and uh, our proximity to the call areas. We're the midpoint um, along the coast. And so our proximity uh, to the, uh, the northern call area and also to the southern call area. Um, and as far as additional support peers, uh, we have also identified Pier 80 uh, as an additional support peer uh, for, uh, to, to complement the core operation. Uh, that cargo terminal can handle uh, other components that can be imported uh, by way of cargo vessels or other vessels uh, to the site. And then we've also identified the uh, Pier 68, the former shipyard, 
uh, which will have the ability to support administrative, administrative offices, uh, component fabrication possibly, and also wet storage. Uh, when the, when the, uh, the bases or foundations of these structures are um, manufactured, they're then deployed to a, a semi-submersible um, harbor craft and there will be wet storage required until such time uh, those components are moved to the next stage for complete assembly of offshore wind turbines. Some of our next steps um, include, um, well, as I should take a step back real quick. Uh, as noted in, in Mike's opening remarks, again, this is just kind of an introduction to our engagements uh, thus far. Um, we've been working closely, Port Maritime, uh, Legislative Affairs team, and with our engineering team as well, and also <coughs> consultants, um, to prepare a basis of design for improvements to our peer, peer infrastructures. As uh, Mike noted, we've yet to identify exactly what the or what those exact uses are for our peers. So we're kind of dealing with the, uh, a blank canvas here. Again, we have the acreage, um, we have the water, uh, we have the workforce. Um, we'll continue again with the Ports Maritime team, Legislative Affairs team, uh, and our engineering team, as well as our uh, on-call consultants to uh, engage with a, a wide range of offshore wind stakeholders. And uh, we'll, with uh, feedback today from the Port Commission, staff will co continue down uh, our path described herein. And uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, we'll return to you with uh, our progress on, uh, on offshore wind endeavors for the California coast. And with that, I will pause and open it up for any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Andre. Is there any public comment on this item? Seeing none, Monica, do we have any remote public comment? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Okay. Um, Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam Chair. This is an exciting project. I, I hope we get a big chunk of it. Um, I don't know enough about the different properties you talked about, but are they all vacant or are we, given the uncertainty, do we have to do something where we're <clears throat> letting other opportunities lapse because we're holding off for this? What's that discussion? Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, so there are, uh, in the Pier 92 through 96 uh, complex, uh, there are a lot of uh, water adjacent piers that are currently on uh, short-term leases uh, or do have options um, to where we can uh, relocate certain tenants to at, at other uh, locations within the port uh, so that we can prioritize these locations for offshore wind opportunities. There are some vacant areas within the port as well. Um, the Pier 80 facility, uh, currently uh, we are in a, have a terminal management agreement in place, but it's a 70-acre facility and does allow for some additional throughput through that uh, facility. And then as I noted with the uh, Pier 68 shipyard, <coughs> ceased traditional ship repair operations in 2017, uh, so there are some opportunities there for um, some light maritime industrial use and activations at the site. Thank you. Commissioner Gilmer. Um, Andre, thank you so much. This is so exciting. Um, and I think besides the economic, <clears throat> economic opportunity and the opportunity to be part of this new green economy that's going to happen and the environmental impacts, I think just also to really ramp up and re-emphasize, and this actually goes to a public comment that we had at the beginning of our meeting, our maritime use and the public trust. 
to me, this is the exact kind of project that when the Burton Act was passed um, and with our state lands and BCDC, like the perfect project for the port. So it is so exciting to see that we can get back to a manufacturing base that then is loaded on ships. And I love this little graphic here um, that can both create jobs, um, contribute to a better um, economy for California and the Bay and lead back to a maritime use and maritime jobs on our waterfront. So I am very excited about the prospect for this um, and look forward to future updates. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Thank you, Commissioner Lee. Yeah, same, uh, I agree with Commissioner Gilman. <clears throat> um, do you have to build any new structures requirement for this type of use, you think? I mean, we do have to invest in other than just the shed, but do we have to build some facilities for these? Project, I, I think we're still in the in the early stages. with haven't yet identified what where what exact uses uh, the port or what exact role the port of San Francisco will play uh, in assembly. Um, I think the the one thing that we've learned thus far is that not one port can accommodate everything um, to get to full assembly. So we've yet to be identified exactly what components, other than you know. I, 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 lightly touched on the manufacturing piece. Uh, so I assume that will, depending on, um, you know, if we go down a road with developers that may require some um, improvements as far as, uh, of course, our, our foundations uh, add some of our peers and may re require some uh, superstructure uh, construction as well at some locations in our southern waterfront. Yeah, I would think they're pretty heavy, you know, these poles, they're very, right? They're very heavy. Um, okay, I mean, it's quite interesting. and. You know, it's good, you know, since we lost a repair business, it's kind of, you know, moving to the future. Too bad we couldn't build rocket ships there, you know, <laughs> barges for rocket retrievals. But um, I look forward to it. Thank you for your comments. Thank you, Andre. Thanks for the report. Um, I, this is a very exciting opportunity for the port, and um, it would definitely uh, be a great investment to some of our peers and create long-term jobs. So I, I'm glad that you guys are really focused on going after these um, various opportunities to bring to the Port of San Francisco. Do you foresee any risk or negative impacts with this type of use? Land side or water side? Either. Uh, at this time, um, you know, I think that's that's still up for discussion. And as I mentioned in uh, the uh, CEC's report that is forthcoming in, in June, uh, we hope that that uh, report, uh, as they are required to, uh, to to lay that all out, will inform us of what those potential risks are, both land side and water side. And uh, we'll also include some mitigation measures to uh, address those issues. But, um, you know, we will... Uh, you know, stay engaged with uh, with our uh, community partners uh, as things develop. I believe I'm presenting before the, uh, the SAC tomorrow night to get some initial uh, feedback from uh, the community. So we'll continue to stay engaged and address any concerns as they arise. Thank you. That was going to be my next question if you had gone to the SAC yet. Thank you. No, this is an exciting opportunity, and I hope there is not too much of a negative impact, and I hope that it's something that we can capitalize on. So thank you for the presentation. Thank you, President Brandon. Jenica, next item, please.
Item 10A is an informational report on the stakeholder engagement process and next steps with respect to the unsolicited proposal from Fisherman's Wharf Revitalized for the leasing and phased development of portions of seawall lot 300 and 301 and Pier 45 sheds A and C in Fisherman's Wharf. For callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Dan Hudap with the Ports Planning and Environment Division. Good afternoon, Commissioner. Uh, Chair, Pre President Brandon, excuse me. Get all my terminology straight, excuse me. Uh, here today to tell you about a, a proposal um, at Fisherman's Wharf, which you're familiar with. It was brought to you in February. And since then, we've gone through and um, have gone through part of the process as required by the waterfront plan for this proposal for an exclusive negotiated agreement. Um, next slide, please. Or do I do that? I do that, okay, excuse me. Um, what we're going to do today is uh, review the process that's been done to date, go through what a summary of what some of the key community points were raised during the community process, and then Rebecca Benassini, our Deputy Director of Real Estate Development, is going to tell you about the next steps and the process that goes before the Board of Supervisors should you direct um, the project to go forward in that direction. Uh, that waterfront plan outlines policies for an unsolicited proposal. Um, included within that is outreach conducted prior to submittal to the Board of Supervisors for consideration. Um, and we're going to go through how that was done right here. The port process is for the developer to provide a written submittal that describes the proposal. You saw that at your February meeting. It's linked to the staff report here today. Uh, convene port advisory committee meetings, or meeting, and the, in this case, it was three meetings to maximize public outreach. Two that were in per, hybrid meetings, in person, and um, an online option, and a third one that was on uh, a virtual meeting online at all, and conduct a Port Commission informational meeting for review, which is what we're doing here this afternoon. Um, the developer team is here, and Re Rebecca Benassini will introduce Lou Gerardo to introduce um, Seth Amelian and Chris McGarry, and talk a little <coughs> bit about the project as well. Um, of course, it does include the Triangle parking lot, in the center of Fisherman's Wharf and Pier 45, the sheds A and C area. Sheds B and D on the left. A and C are on the right. If you look out at the pier, um, A and B and D on the left are where fishing industry operations are concentrated at this point. Triangle parking lot is between Powell and Mason Streets to the north of Jefferson Street. It is a parking lot as described now, and the parking lot also continues over to Taylor Street at this time. The project does align with uh, four very important strategic plan goals. Uh, productivity, to attract and retain tenants to build an economically successful and vibrant waterfront. Resilience, to project reduce plans to reduce seismic and climate change risks to protect the waterfront. Um, evolution, evolve the waterfront to respond to changing public and port needs and engagement, engage the constituents and the public on port functions and activities. It also aligns with a number of waterfront plan goals. Um, the, as it um, continues the maritime function of the port with the fishing industry, uh, it, it aligns with all of them. Uh, 
some of the ones that just come to mind are it's, it contributes to a financially strong port, the maritime port, the resilient port, and making some improvements to Pier 45 are part of the proposal. And I think partnering for success really jumps out too. But there, the belief right now is that it would align with all of the goals here. Um, Sub-area goals as well. Um, the the um, First of all, protect and maintain Fisherman's Wharf as a working fishing port. Um, uh, be a mix of maritime and water-dependent activities at Fisherman's Wharf. Enhance the public access experience. Maintain the wharf's diverse mix of public, commercial, and maritime and recreation uses. Work closely with Fisherman's Wharf restaurants and businesses to coordinate investments. And a lot of that work has been done by the team, and they will explain a little more of that. And manage transportation flow to and through the wharf to maintain viable industrial loading access for the fishing industry and commercial businesses. Um, so the sub-area goals dealing with. Um, to go through the summary of some of the key comments that came forth here, first and foremost, it's, it's number one for a reason. The fishing industry must be prioritized. We heard this loud and clear. The developing team heard this loud and clear um, and are taking this into account, and they can address how they're doing so. The visitor, visitor attraction of the wharf is the ability to observe the activity of the fishing industry. People like to see what's going on. They come down there. They wander in all sorts of places that you wouldn't think are quite comfortable in order to do that. Um, sheds A and C are are used for fishing gear storage, staging, and parking to support the fishing industry. Um, it's said that there's not sufficient space for the industry's storage needs today. This was repeated multiple times in the public process. The fishing industry could benefit from cold storage space on Pier 45. Uh, concerns about impacts that the proposed use of Pier 45 may have on the valley. The valley is the circulation space between sheds A and C on the east side and B and D on the west, where all the truck activity, all the access occurs. So um, concerns that that's already a congested space. And the proposal is staying out of the valley, but they can explain more of that as we go forward. Um, regarding the Triangle Lot, concern that development on the Triangle Lot would turn its back on Jefferson Street businesses activity by diverting um, customers over to the north, to the um, Embarcadero, the, to the north. Uh, it was a concern expressed, and these are concerns that the team um, plans to address. Observation that the Embarcadero is at times needed for vehicle access to fishing industry uses on Pier 45. Um, a question about does the proposed short-term residential use violate the 1990 Prop H, banning hotels within 100 feet of the waterfront. So that'll be addressed in the process. And um, the overall reception for Triangle Lot uses was very positive. Public space on the Western portion of it, um, the um, retail and short-term residential on the um, east side of it. And I won't go into the more details of the uses at this time, but leave that for the others behind me. Some general comments that were received. Is it appropriate to consider new development when there are so many vacancies at the wharf? 
Should the sponsors look at the vacant properties on Taylor and Jefferson Street for the uses proposed on Pier 45? Um, I, won't, I won't go into explanations on these. I'm not going to answer them. Important not to lose the industrial character of the wharf. Would the area benefit from an area-wide plan? Um, consider activities and uses that focus on the inner lagoon where the historic boats are located. People are very interested in these. Um, open space attracts uses that are problematic. Um, of course, you're very familiar with the illegal vendor problem that plagues a lot of um, the northern waterfront. And excitement about the potential for new investment in Fisherman's Wharf. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca Benassini to cover the next steps in the process. Thank you so much, Dan. Hello, commissioners. These, this, we're, this is the first time we're going through this process. As you know, under the waterfront plan, we sought public input. input. We're now uh, going to hear from you all. And then we will go forward and kind of preserve the board's role in terms of their ability to approve or not approve a sole source proposal. It's a, it's a hard, I know it's a little bit of a difficult process. Um, Dan provided a lot of comments that we received from the public. You probably have a lot of questions about the project. How much does it cost? Is it feasible? What does staff think about it? We're being really clear that at this stage in the process, we haven't asked for anything like that because we are not negotiating with this entity. We're just going through the process in terms of this unsolicited proposal. So I, I know that when you hear a lot of comments that we were just discussing, like, well, why don't we do something about this or that? We're taking all those comments in. The developers are taking those comments in and many of the back and forth moments we had with the community members I think were extremely fruitful in them understanding how we're addressing other elements of Fisherman's Wharf um, while we're also um, talking about this particular proposal that came to us so uh, the other item um, if we are if the Board of Supervisors does choose to grant that sole source negotiation then we would initiate a sort of typical ENA negotiation we have many models in terms of that document and we'd come forward to you uh, to approve the ENA or consider the ENA and help us determine whether or not the milestones that we um, put forward are in alignment with what you want to see. The ENAs would provide a meaningful set of requirements with regard to public outreach ongoing throughout the negotiation. So I want to really stress that. And this next slide stresses it even for further, that where we are at this stage is one group has come forward with a ton of experience and great ideas and thinking, and they put forward a proposal, and then there's this process going forward. The slides here show a development process that we show in front of a lot of our projects, and the sponsors typically don't like it because it's so long, but it's a range, three to five to even seven years uh, as we go through the negotiations, and there are multiple opportunities for continuous um, public comment. Um, one of the key milestones, of course, after the e or during the ENA process, we're looking at the financial terms. Uh, we're looking at all of the community benefits and community aspects, and those that's sort of a relatively lengthy period of time. And then you begin, um, if that, those are approved, uh, uh, then you're beginning sort of environmental review um, and more feasibility testing. And then the transaction documents themselves can be multiple multiple years to negotiate and refine through the public process. 
I want to take a moment now to introduce the development team, and then I want to come back and kind of sum up what we're asking of you all today. So we're really um, happy that Lou Gerardo, Seth Hamillion, and Chris McGarry joined us. I want to invite any or all of them to say a couple words uh, about their vision and what they've heard so far from the from the public, if they wish to to give any summation. I know Dan did a great job of going through the details, and then I'll come back and just sum up for you. I can't dance, it's just a little <laughs> tough, but the, uh, the aging process sometimes takes its toll. My name is Lou Girado. I'm 77 years of age. I'm a native San Franciscan. I live in San Francisco. I'll never leave San Francisco, even in a six-foot box. <laughs> They're going to bury me in my backyard. Nevertheless, um, I love San Francisco. Everything that my family has, which we think is substantial by virtue of being a working class family, coming here as immigrants to San Francisco, we owe to San Francisco. We owe to the wonderful people of San Francisco. We owe to the attitudinal disposition of San Francisco that says, let's help each other make it through our lives. We're still doing that today. People criticize us for it. People praise us for it. No matter what they do, it is happening. We, Seth, myself, and Chris, and others, Dante Sarfini was here today. Tom Creed from Skomas and, and uh, Paul Capuro from Capuros and others uh, have been looking at the war for quite some time. And we've been worried. We think we're in a state of crisis. And then with COVID, we realized we were in a state of crisis and we thought something needed to be done. So we have a dream. And we decided that we try to convert the dream into a vision and then hopefully into a plan, negotiate a lease with the city and provide Fisherman's Wharf with a renaissance, a revitalization, so that the thousands of jobs and the hundreds of people like the gentlemen that are here today uh, will still have their businesses. And there will be new small businesses. We, we want to create a new legacy as well as maintain the legacy that exists today. So um, we come here not to convince you that we have some magic what we are here to tell you is that we're grassroots and we want to make our fisherman's wharf, your fisherman's wharf, a better place for everybody in San Francisco, better place for the general region, because we do get a lot of local business, meaning the Bay Area, and for tourists. And uh, I never realized how important the tourists were, and I used to think some of these snobs that would say, not fisherman's wharf, only tourists go there. Well, guess what? They're very important to us, very important to us and to the city of San Francisco. And we need to make Fisherman's Wharf a better place. Yes, there are still a lot of people coming to Fisherman's Wharf on the weekends. The weekday is not so. We'll see now this summer. It is getting better, but it'll never go back to what it was. We're probably short some four to five million people a year visiting the Fisherman's Wharf area. We think what we have planned or what we envisioned uh, will bring them back and provide new forms of entertainment and provide the opportunity to enjoy the fishing industry the way it was many years ago. So that's what I have to offer in terms of who we are. If you have any questions of me, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, and if you don't, I'm happy not to answer them. <laughs> Thank you, Lou. Does Seth or Chris want to speak? 
they gave me the job of following Mr. Gerardo, so I always appreciate that. Um, so I wanted to just close by making clear that I will be recording comments that you all make. We'll be continuing to record comments we hear from the public, um, any members of the public who wish to speak. And as we're preparing for a Board of Supervisors hearing, certainly they'll want to hear what our commissioners thought, what members of the public thought. So we'll be recording those, and I'll do my best to kind of summarize at the end, if that's appropriate, since this is an informational hearing kind of consistent with what the waterfront plan anticipated for this process. We aren't asking you to take action, but I do want to make sure I'm reflecting what I'm hearing well um, to make sure that either David or I or Dan, whoever gets to present this to the board, um, does, a, does a great job of summarizing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca and Dan, for the presentation. Is there any public comment on this item? <laughs> Commissioners, Lane Forbes. Uh, my name is Paul Capurro. I represent Capurro's restaurant, which is on the far west side of the wharf. So I'm part of the group of, from the historic part of Fisherman's Wharf, which will now, and hopefully this plan moves forward, will be really the last two blocks of the hunk of the old wharf, which we intend desperately to preserve and to keep going. I'm kind of disappointed to see two of our pieces left this afternoon, but Pompeii's and Lou's, uh, but we are committed to keep ourselves going. I have Tom Creedon behind me over here from Skoma's restaurant. We have Skoma's, we have, we, this is a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous opportunity. Um, we are hurting. Uh, my, Family started, I'm part of the Alioto family. We started in 1915 on the wharf. I'm fourth generation working. My son and daughter worked, they're fifth generation. We're in desperate times down there right now. It is really, really difficult. Never been, never seen it like this in my life. Um, there's so many factors involved. Uh, you know, it's the street people, the, the vendors, the illegal alcohol illegal food, it's, it's almost lawless down there right now. I probably shouldn't go off on another tangent, which I, I could, uh, but we really feel, and I've, I've spoken to every single tenant that's still down on the old side, and even though we are down there and comments are being made that, well, you know, they're gonna do it all for themselves and they're gonna try and create a, a really great business for themselves, but it's always been that way. The main row, Aliotos and Grotto 9, has been, we've known that as Murderer's Row forever. They've always been the top guys. But the whole wharf has flourished because we had that. And that's what we really need back. We need the feeling of safety. We need the feeling of something really exciting happen. There's all kinds of things on the plate. But I don't know how long we can hold out. I mean, it's been brutal. I mean, the last couple of years, we've bled to death out there, other than a few of us hardheads that have just tried to keep it going. So I don't know how we can move this forward, but maybe just the possibility of you guys giving us hope that this is a viable opportunity, that you know we don't have to wait for city money, we don't have to wait for city people to get in there and do it. These guys, you're not gonna get a better dream team than what's standing behind us right now, from my opinion. So we really would ask you to please expedite it as much as you can. Give us something to, to you know, get back to work. We're looking forward to this summer. As Lou said, it's picking up a little bit. It's a little better than it's been, but 
when you go down as far as the road as we've been down, it's pretty hard. Is that the timer? Wow, <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, he finished just in time. We, well, <laughs> but we do just ask that it, we just need it to be done. We need hope. The whole city, we need hope, and we need help on our streets, and we need things cleaned up, and we need people to get aggressive again. Thank you. And help us. Thank out. you. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? Tom, Creedon, <laughs> did you want to speak? Okay, okay. Seeing no more public comment in the room, Monica. There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca, I, I wanted to do a clarifying question before I just make some comments, and it's also just to remind myself, but also for the public. Um, if we move forward and we do negotiations, we could do all the negotiations, all the community outreach, we could do it all, and still, at the end of the day, not walk away with a deal. It's just opening the possibility for due diligence, for plans, for budgeting. <clears throat> I, I just want to clarify, if we go into um, exclusive negotiations, it doesn't mean we that we will come through with a project, it means we get to have richer, deeper, more substantive conversations through allowing the sole source. Exactly right. Our retail policy requires competition, so we cannot, we are not allowed to speak to them about their proposal until we get this sole source. So that's exactly right. And then we get to start to talk about um, things in detail. Okay, thank you. Of course. So, so the rest are just some comments I want to make as, as someone who lives a stone's throw from Fisherman's Wharf up on Lombard and Pal, so I can see it every day. I see what's happening at Little Embarcadero. Um, I walk around and um, wanted to say I always felt that we needed a much more strong, <coughs> a couple of things to make, to make it a little more stronger. Um, one, bringing back locals to the waterfront. I've been in my spot now for 20 years. My landlords were born in the building they own now as immigrants from Italy. Um, and they remember going to the wharf as children, and it was a place San Franciscans went, and you bought fish, and it was much more lively for retail. And I will just say in the last two decades I've been here, that has been fading away. So I'm a huge proponent of economic vitality back at the wharf. It is hard during the week right now to be down there, um, particularly when um, the weather's been poor. It's been really vacant. I I've seen tourists trying to navigate it. So I just want to say I, I feel for everything you gentlemen, your businesses are going through, um, and I think we absolutely need a, a revitalization plan. And I need to say I might differ from my fellow commissioners, but um, I'm pretty open, actually, to the idea of with, with the right constraints of, of sole sourcing. So I, I just want to say for the record, um, that's not a non-starter for me as a commissioner. Um, I think if we have the right community process, the right framework of our strategic plan and our equity goals, um, I actually think it's exciting to entertain people who are industrious um, and who want to come forward, particularly a group of people who have such a historic place at the waterfront. Um, and then I, I'd say the only things, I know we can't discuss the proposal, um, I'd be curious to explore more how, if we get to this point from an architectural perspective, it's light and brings people in and doesn't close off Jefferson Street with a wall of new construction or, or new buildings. Um, and I have a lot of questions. The one thing that sort of stood out to me is, the most is I have a lot of questions about the short-term rentals um, and how that would work, um, particularly with Prop H, which was mentioned by the public, but also with the new um, restrictions put in place around short-term rentals. That's one piece that gives me pause, so I would want to understand 
how that economics makes the whole plan work, which I know we cannot discuss until the Board of Supervisors authorize the sole source and the right for us to negotiate. But I'm loving the fishing and the education, um, and I'd be very excited to be in conversation with you. Um, and those are my comments as a commissioner and someone who lives nearby the site. Thank you. Commissioner Lee. Well, I feel the people in, um, down there because we go through this every day in Chinatown. I mean, we have more empty storefronts than you have, but we kind of all stick together as a community. And, and like you say, we're all trying to hold on. Uh, I was just in Washington last month and I was talking to the U.S. Chamber. They're giving us all the statistics about recovery. And I had just asked them, just give me the simple answer. When are we going to be out of this? And they said it's going to be 2025, you know? So we have to stick, hang in there and, and work together. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, this, now this is a surface renovate, uh, revitalization, right? I mean, are they, are we, we have to invest in some of the structures down below, or I mean, we're going to be have that's going to be part of the challenge too. Correct? correct, to definitely to be evaluated. So nothing in the proposal states this is what we're going to do with the pier pilings or right. anything like that at this point. That's something that we would work on for sure. And resilience as one of the key benefits we would want under our strategic plan and our waterfront plan goals. So and then the um, the proposal kind of follows the line. So Aliotos and Castanolas are not part of that. It's kind Correct. of going this way, right? Correct. It's so, yeah, so exactly. So we still have to work with them and try to get them relaunched and back on its feet, too. Correct. So Aliotos is ours, and at our next meeting, we'll be talking about that, about how we're looking into what we can do with that building and some of our other properties that you all discussed earlier on your consent agenda. And Castagnola still has a tenant there, and we've been working with that person, that entity, um, as well as her uh, partner operations person and her attorney to try to urge reopening while she holds that property okay um well i'm not giving up on fisherman's wharf and you know i know we lost two today two two tenants you know but um there's a good possibility somebody will fill it that with new energy and i'm i'm pretty supportive of that so don't give up yet but as far as i'm on this commission and reason why i volunteer to be on this commission is to help people like you and your group because I know how it feels to invest all that time and energy, and then suddenly the economy and no tourists, you know, are beyond our control, and we end up losing it. So uh, don't give up. I support this. Uh, I think there's more to discuss, obviously, and uh, I'm sure the supervisors will see it the same way. I think there's a lot more to discuss. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. So um, obviously, Fisherman's Wharf is incredibly important. I, I feel for what's going on right now. I would love to go forward as fast as possible to make some things work. Uh, this proposal sounds really exciting. Um, Mr. Gerardo is kind of Mr. San Francisco, and if he's part of something, there's a very high trust factor there. I know we're not supposed to talk about the project, so let's talk about the process. Um, it's, it's, it was odd to me that the first step when you get an unsolicited proposal was to go and talk to stakeholders as opposed to talk about whether you want to go forward with the sole source. Because that's the normal thing I would think. Um, as you mentioned, it's three to five to seven years. And then the lease will be something that all of us in this room will be dead before when this project is, is up and running still, hopefully. Why? Something will go wrong. 
in every major project, something goes wrong. And when something goes wrong, people say, they gave it away. They gave it a sole source. There was no competitive bidding. None of that stuff happened. And a sweetheart deal was given to some local people. And that's why we're in this situation. Why aren't we doing something like a request for interest, something that would allow us to go to the Board of Supervisors and say, we got the unsolicited bid. We spent a couple of months asking if anybody else was interested in this so we can come forward to you well, not with the full competitive bidding process, I understand that would take a very long time, but something that says these are the only folks interested in working with us so that you're not just walking into the board and saying, you know, trust, trust the nice people. Um, that's, a, that's a hard thing to ask the board. It, it seems like our process is almost we get something and we assume the board is going to be talking about whether it's appropriate to have sole source. We should be the ones talking about that, and I think that should even be before we have stakeholder discussions because we need to know if we're comfortable with doing that. And in fact, if we had started some kind of an RFI process two months ago, we would almost, almost be ready to be finishing it maybe to see if somebody else is out there. So I'm very concerned that we are not doing anything to say, is anybody else interested in this? I'm gonna start and I bet Director Forbes or Mike Martin are gonna help me out. Um, so, so first, the waterfront plan is adopted and this is the process we have set up. So to change that, we would have to amend it. So that's kind of like the front, that's not your question. That your question is why did why? we get here? Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I'll say is when we get, per this isn't the, many entities will come forward like, why don't we do this? Have you thought about that for your property? That's empty. Why haven't you thought about this other thing? And typically what we do is we have such short, we have such small number of staff, we are not going to go after RFIs for any item that comes through the door. It would be just a huge diversion of Josh's very small team. So we just wouldn't, and we definitely wouldn't on our own think about RFIing a fish, uh, a shed A where we have fish storage and we have lay down space behind that are, you know, kind of um, active at this point. So we wouldn't contemplate doing an RFI in anticipation of something like this. I, I can add more context, I think. So during the waterfront land use pro, uh, planning process, there was concern among the committee members about sole source uh, projects because many of them were coming through the port. It wasn't unusual, actually. It was more typical. And there were many marquee projects, like the Golden State Warriors projects, uh, things that um, were exciting uh, to the public, maybe exciting to the public trust in some ways, uh, because they were marquee. We have leaned hard on doing solicitation processes, um, competitive, fair solicitation processes for things like Piers 3032, which we just, just discussed. That said, port properties have unique challenges. and. Um, having unique teams with certain vision and capacity and actually, um, I would say, attachment and vision for a place can be a turnaround for us. Um, so the, the folks on the waterfront planning process wanted to develop a process that has us collect enough information so we can transmit to the board how we feel about the project from the trustee's perspective. The waterfront planning group thought going to our community advisory groups, collecting information from the sport commission, and then transmitting that to the board so it can make its sole source decision, which is only in their authority, that would be the right process in which we could comment and, and uh, provide information about the trustees' perspective. Once the Board of Supervisors makes a decision if this, this group is uniquely qualified and should move forward on the sole source basis, then we move into our ENA position and start to really work through the various details of the project. So that was what was on the minds of the um, 
group that put together these recommendations are 161 of them. Actually, the sole source was uh, one of the things that was uh, hotly disputed um, by one member didn't ever want a sole source uh, for port property. But as we think about it, pro uh, projects like Teatro Zanzani, uh, projects like this that are stakeholders coming together and thinking about how to uh, rehabilitate the property for the uses that they understand and the experiences they have in community uh, can be very um, important for the port. So we're rolling out a new process of our recently adopted plan. Um, we understand it's a little clunky um, as we work out the details, uh, but that was the thinking and, and that this is why we're here in this process. And in terms of putting out an RFI, I understand what you're saying. I think Rebecca's primary comment that we don't have the resources to do it is right. Um, we have a grouping of northern peers we may move to. We're always looking at where's the next site we're going to do an RFP or an RFI on. So that is part of our development planning. So I hope that answer is helpful. It, it wasn't. I mean, it was partially. Mm -hmm. um, it seems the way you're, you're talking about this, we are kind of staffing the board for the board to make their decision about a sole source, as opposed to us as a commission making a decision about whether we think a sole source is right. And so all the processes are to gather information to, to bring it to the board of supervisors. Won't they ask us if we think it's a good idea to have a sole source? And shouldn't we be making that decision? And how do we make that decision when we haven't seen? I mean, when we do right. sole sources, it's because there's no one else out there. Or there's all kinds of other reasons. And I read through the reasons for a sole source in the proposal, which was urgency, project, and team. I get that. But again, it's a, it's a seven-year, three-year minimum project to get anything done. And it would seem like something this important that you know is going to blow up. It will blow up in our faces. At some point in this process, everything this large does. Mm -hmm. That you would want to protect yourselves and the port as much as possible by saying, we went through the right process and this was the right team. Not, we heard from great people and we went forward. It could be in the port, it, it by uh, charter or by rules, only the Board of Supervisors can grant they, this sole they source. They make the final decision. They make the decision. To them. It is absolutely possible that this commission could take an action, but we've chosen not to take an action because it will be when you enter the ENA that you have enough information uh, to make uh, decisions about the financial structure and other pieces that is not, we don't have it at this point. So basically we're saying, here's what we have, here's what we think, board, are you going to move forward with authorizing this sole source so we can get in the details and make dis make decisions as a commission about whether to move forward and under what terms? That's not giving the Board of Supervisors information that they would normally get for why they should go forward with the sole source. And they get they go forward with the sole source for certain particular reasons. We're not giving those to them. We're giving them what the Waterfront Land Use Plan Group thought was essential, which is community feedback and commission feedback on the proposal. Before this process was laid out, it wasn't clear that the commission had any role in a sole source for the board. Um, there was different practices we, we took. In some, we took action to recommend the sole source to the board. Right. Um, so it has been the commission's um, working with the commission a decision to take no action and just transmit the information. It is in the commission's hand to take an action, but then again, 
Do you have the information you need? It's a chicken and egg process um, where, this, where the board's decision will open us up to the negotiations where we learn more and you're prepared uh, to take actions to move forward or to ask for more questions. That, that, that's not a satisfactory process from my point of view. Mm -hmm. I want to add, if I could add one thing, we're going to talk about this a lot more, I think, at the next commission meeting, because I want to talk about competitive solicitations, because we have, we, you all just terminated, helped us, and the other tenant terminate two leases, that'll go to the Board of Supervisors. We are going to have a lot of vacancies, and we need to start to look at and revamp how we're going to do these solicitations, because as how we've been doing them in the past is not... Um, consistent with the market today. In the past, we had people banging down our door. We had a, a fantastic property that was had challenges, but was in such an incredibly desirable location. We had we had competition. Where we are today is not that. I think we're going to have a much tougher time, and it's going to be more up to us to say, who wants to come in? Who who's willing to make? Who's willing to take the leap? Um, in the face of sort of economic uncertainty, and we'll put that forward for sure for businesses that we had in operation several years ago, and we have a vision for what they are. What this proposal is is not something that we would have ever, we wouldn't have come up with an RFP or an RFI for something like this. And that's, in the past, what's come forward, Teatro is our, our other sole source, Exploratorium is our other sole source that were successful. Those are sort of established entities um, similar to the proposers here today who have had experience on the waterfront or had experience putting infrastructure in, in the city, those established entities can get through the process because of uh, what, what their experience has been in demonstrating they can complete a project. The only other thing I was going to mention is so, um, competitive solicitations haven't always protected us in the past from things blowing up for sure. So we've had many difficulties in projects that were competitively bid and we still would face sort of questions about, even if they were competitively bid, why did that entity win? Um, so it's not a perfect protection for from us in terms of defending what we went through to get to that whatever point we are in the process. I, I see that. It's, nothing is a perfect process to protect you. There will be criticism no matter what happens. What I'm trying to do is limit it at some point anyway. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. Are you okay, or did you get your question? Uh, I, I got my questions answered, but I'm, I'm not okay with going forward with a sole source. So I would hope that you're not going to, I mean, if you come to the commission and ask us to do a sole source recommendation to the board, I'm not sure I could vote for it, because I have no reason to believe this is a sole source, because we haven't asked the question. So is there, do, are you looking for any further response from the staff, or? As soon as he's finished. Okay. I want to ask him a question. Okay. Go ahead, Eli. I don't know if this will be more helpful, but I think in, with Port Property, there is so much uh, need and there is so much activity happening. And we have done many sole sources that have had challenges or not come to fruition in terms of a tenant. And I think we are learning through our process to be open to other ways in which groups come in that can be successful. And we do have two sole sources that are very, well, Teatro is not up, but Exploratorium, very, very successful project. We also have sole sources like the America's Cup and the Warriors Stadium, which were not successful. Similarly, I could add ones that were solicited. So I think here, we're not making a decision about whether this is a sole source or whether anyone else could do the work. Uh, the way in which the Waterfront Land Use Planning Group looked at this is they understood that sole sources would come through, great ideas, unique ideas, and they were 
were guiding us to get enough information together so the board could make a better decision or have more information than they had in the past so we would have the opportunity uh, to look at it and comment. There could be a situation where we would get a sole source that the public would say, we don't think this is trust consistent. We don't think this fits. Uh, the comments you saw were more about how it would fit. Um, so I think that there is an understanding that the port properties are challenging and we should be open to other ways in which we um, <coughs> welcome partners and get into an ENA position. So that's what I would say. And especially post-COVID, we certainly see this with our vacant properties where we're going to solicitations through a broker and other ways in which to find the tenants rather than solicit out and, and wait for responses. I hope that's helpful. Thank you. President, can I follow? Uh, oh, Com Gail. Yeah. Commissioner, so, okay. Commissioner Harrington, I guess I had, it's a similar question because and I want to make sure I'm not interpreting your comment incorrectly. When I heard what you just said, I think one reason my comfort level is to me, I'm interpreting the board and this information that goes to them for the sole source, and, and you know, you um, have worked much more deeply in government than I, as an opportunity for us to start a conversation through negotiations. And we could decide three months from now in those, once this goes through, that we're like, sorry, this is not, this is not working for us as commissioner. I could never support a project like this. But, my understanding is we are so tied that we can't even have that deep conversation. But like to me, the, it's not even that the Board of Supervisors would be saying, when we use the word sole source, it sounds like a rubber stamp, the deal is off and running. To me, I feel like the Board of Supervisors is giving us the latitude to begin this negotiations, this pull and push, this um, how's your financing going to come together, what is your public benefits, what's your LBE participation, et cetera, et cetera, to then decide whether we would, in fact, support it. And we could still, in the middle of that process, um, if the deal is not working or deal falls apart, put it to bed and go back and do a solicitation. I, I think what I'm sensing since I've been on the commission, and it's only been five and a half years now, is with all of this vacancy and all of these things and deals we've seen, like one of the spaces that we are doing direct leasing for, which since I've been here, we've had a whole RFP process for. We awarded the grant and the deal fell apart and we're back to square one, that we need to figure out more creative ways just to be having the conversation. So I guess I just want to make sure I'm not interpreting your comments wrong, because you, you, from your comments, I feel like you were interpreting it as if the board votes no matter what, our hands are tied. We have to go. We have to go with this group, with this solicitation, with this process. I, I, not exactly. Um, the if we go, if the board adopts a sole source, we certainly will be focused on working with this group appropriately, and it would take a lot probably to blow it up. Just frankly, I mean, if you're walking down the street with people and they're trusting people and it's a great program, you're going to walk down that way. What you have done is you have selected never to know if something else was out there. You have selected to know if, if something better may have been there and you never asked the question. And that's, that's the difficulty of a sole source. But, I mean, maybe we can have a, a larger item on this with, with also with the direct leasing. I guess I would, maybe I'm an optimist, I would say we had public comment here today. Um, I was noticed of these meetings, people in my neighborhood was, and if I was a development group and I was like, oh my God, we had been working in a back room thinking of this exact space for 10 years. I'd be here at public comment. I would be at the board saying, please don't issue the sole source. We're interested too. And I think maybe the silence, the deafening of the silence also indicates there may not be someone out there. I'm just get, 
as a new commissioner, I'm just giving you my thought process, and I was bold to say that I had a comfort level that seems different than yours. Um, and I, um, I think it's great when we have conversation here at the dais. So Thank I just you. wanted to explain. Thank you. Thanks. Commissioner Lee. So <laughs> I get the process part of it. The, the thing is right now is we as business people have to come up with some, some new ideas to get these things passed. I mean, I mean, we have property like the old uh, butterfly space has been around for I don't know how long, and I can't understand because I used to know the owner of that space that left years ago, and it should be turnkey, but it's still sitting empty because of the process. And I think there's nothing wrong right now to come up with a new strategy a different approach and I think the supervisors know that mm -hmm. um, that but of course if it's only going to be brought up as process it's going to take months mm -hmm. at least they know that the community's behind it mm -hmm. if the community's behind it they will tend to maybe lean a little bit you know or maybe you should do this or there might be one supervisor that just says exactly like you saying that we don't like soul sourcing mm -hmm. but at least we got it there you know we have to be a little bit outside the box and I think, you know, with all the 550 tenants that we have, the main ones that we're getting leases back are the main draw of Fisherman's Wharf. And we got to fill those spaces. So that's why I'm kind of looking at how can we do this a little outside the box, still follow the process, but not wait a year if we can help it. I will make a comment about the wharf, and I was hearing Mr. Capurro and others talk about how all the challenges at the wharf. And... It is clean. We are cleaning it all the time. We are working on the vending challenges. Uh, we're putting a lot of staff effort into a clean and safe wharf. I mean, really with our crews across the board. But the vacancies and the lack of investment and where it's headed from a public realm is not good. I mean, if we just look at this playing out without something major, we are in a real challenge to say one in four San Franciscans will keep coming. Um, so getting a group that has generational experience in the wharf knows the stakeholders knows the business owners goes back with this is a this is a community that has a lot of uh, history and is also a community that doesn't necessarily come together easily on ideas so there is a real value in having someone from the community who is bringing partners together we do have these activation plans, and we will be trying to lease these buildings, and Port's going to do everything we can to keep the wharf together through this period. But seeing a generational investment come in uh, with the group, with the financing, with the background, this is an opportunity as we see it. And we understand it's not the traditional way uh, that we've done things, but we, we are very much open to such an opportunity, or at least I am and my staff feel very open to it. And just one last comment. I would hope this is a good proposal, and it would win whatever process there is. That's true. You're just not having the process. <laughs> Your turn, President. <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> well, Thank my you. My first meeting. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, Rebecca, thank you so much for the presentation, and this has been a great conversation. Um, I understand what you're saying and I understand how you feel. I am the first one that will say no sole source. Mm -hmm. I, I will, I, I'm always the one to say no, we shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. This one I felt comfortable with because 
of the state of Fisherman's Wharf and all that we need to do to revitalize it mm -hmm. and all the investment that we need to make that happen. And I don't think anyone's going to come with, to us to say, can we have four, five, six parcels mm -hmm. and invest and really do something? Mm -hmm. If Lou didn't have a proven track record with the port and have not, have not already made so much investment mm -hmm. into Fisherman's Wharf and to other areas, I would step back too. But I think it's only because of the state of Fisherman's Wharf, mm -hmm. the condition. Mm -hmm. And we, we've lost five, six mm -hmm. tenants, mm -hmm. and there may be Five's. more to come. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, if, if every, the, the brokers and everyone else doesn't see some type of investment to bring, mm -hmm. you know, retailers back mm -hmm. to Fisherman's Wharf, there's no telling what's going to happen out there. Mm -hmm. So I agree that there could be a better process, and I agree that there should be more transparency because we do get sole source requests that we just reject. They don't mm -hmm. even come to the commission. Mm -hmm. We don't get to this point. So maybe there needs to be a better process in who will be accepted and who mm -hmm. won't and how, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So... so mm -hmm. Like Commissioner Gilman said, I'm comfortable because we may not make it through the ENA process. Once we see the financials, once we see what the real investment is, once we understand the total concept of the project, we may say, well, no, that, you know, that's not really benefiting the port. Mm -hmm. We don't want to move forward. So we don't have to move forward even if the board says yes to the sole source. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I encourage you to work with the director for <laughs> to discuss processes going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that, is this an action item? It's informational. <laughs> <laughs> this has been real informational. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So when you go to the board, are you, do you have to come back for an approval? Or are you going we do to not board? have to come back. We will go straight to the board. And I've recorded many of your items. And I will rely on Jenica to make sure I've summarized it correctly when we do go to the board. OK. And so for the outreach, I'm happy that you did extensive outreach. But can I ask you approximately how many people showed up at each of the sessions? A, a lot, a lot more really, than showed up here yeah, today. Really. Um, Dan really. will have better numbers. In really. the room in Fisherman's Wharf, we had dozens of people and several people on the phone at Pier 1 when we had the process. I think we had about 25 or 30 people, and then many people, many more people on the phone. The, that phone participation was very good. And then we had one hybrid meeting, or I'm sorry, one all online meeting at NAC. Dan, do you have any more numbers? But it was very well attended and, and many, many commenters. Great, great. I'm glad yeah. that there was such extensive outreach and so much Dan, engagement. Have, returning, we have probably averaged about 30 people per meeting, and it was they were excited, emotional, charged with comments about protecting the wharf, its character, and also being supportive of some ideas that were going to bring things in. Right. So they were some of the most interesting public meetings I've gotten to participate in and oh, good. facilitate. Good. Happy to hear that. I will say that from the work we've been doing at the wharf, live crab sales and live salmon sales has been extraordinarily popular. And the, the concept of highlighting fishing and bringing fishing back and, and showcasing it and having beautiful public realm and facilities around fishing, we believe that that is a very forward vision that people will embrace and very important to the wharf. So I would add that. And, and that's why we have to make sure that the fishing industry 
has to be prioritized throughout this project. Um, and then we, ju we discuss staffing and all that we have going on. And so how are we going to staff this? We've been discussing that internally. After, let's see what the board does, um, but we have been discussing it. We are, we are shy on development property man. We are shy on development staff. Uh, we have a lot in the, in the hopper. Uh, so we'll be thinking about how to assign this one. And um, we're backfilling still David Beaupre's position since he's been promoted to be our planning director. So there's a vacancy there for 3032 and 3840. So we are scrambling inside. It's, I'm not going to um, paint a different picture, uh, but we will be working on what to do. And we may lean on consultant support uh, for part of uh, the work, which we typically do for the financials, et cetera. But uh, we need to bring in people. And Next, next commission item, we'll be talking about Rebecca Venessini and her plans, but that's right. a whole other matter. Right. right. <laughs> okay, so you're going to go to the board. They're going to say yay or nay. And before you start the ENA process, I would like for you guys to come back to us and let us know their comments, their thoughts, Absolutely. before going, moving into the ENA discussions. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Great. Any other comments? Oh, sorry, I just wanted to tell Dan on the community outreach. I just want to know, as someone who was aware of all three sessions, there. Thank you for listening to us. The in reach to both North Beach and Chinatown. I heard from folks in the business associations. They were aware, even if they didn't participate, because I don't believe. Um, I'm not sure if the Chinese Chamber did, but I know folks were aware. So thank you for hearing us on that to make sure the adjacent neighborhoods, not just the businesses at the wharf, which doesn't have a, a dearth of residential, but all the neighborhoods surrounding it were able to give input. So I just wanted to acknowledge that you heard the commission. Any other comments? Thank you, Dan and Rebecca. Jenica, next item, please. Item 11 is new business. I've recorded that we'll return with an informational session after the selection of the operator for 344 uh, to see their plans. And then we will come back after the ENA process, uh, after the sole source process with the Board of Supervisors before we work on the ENA. Is there any other new business? Is there any other new business? I, I had one, um, I, on the, it could be on the back burner because we have so much work we're doing and I know we have staffing shortages and a small and mighty team. But a reflection on today's agenda is I'm wondering, is there a way to look at delegated authority for the director, um, both on the gross of a million, but also um, the interdepartmental MOUs and things um, with, other, with other city departments where we're just sort of doing business or, or working as is? I, I just, I mean, just a question whether, as a commission, that's really a place for us to weigh in on, or is that something we want to delegate? I don't know the answer, mm -hmm. but I, it was just a thought I had looking at today's agenda. Yeah, I think it depends on the item. It does, absolutely, but um, delegation is also a commission policy, so some we've updated, some we keep consistent with the city, and some have sat um, in, in old delegations. So it's a good question, and we can certainly look at it and bring it to the commission. The one that comes to mind to me is all, always traffic changes, like to the, to the uh, meters or to the, the pricing, and that, that hits our uh, harbor code. But anyhow, it's a very good question, and we will look at it as a... Um, B, a B-level uh, effort yeah. uh, in terms of priority, but thank you for the question. Any other new business? Okay, next item, please. Can I have a motion to adjourn the meeting? I, I move we adjourn the meeting at 5.53 p.m. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? The meeting is adjourned. <laughs>
Thank you.